the Want to Learn podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. And you know, there's a lot of people that you see about in social media that make a whole bunch of fuss and, and, and attract a lot of attention. And then there's a ton of people that you almost never hear about. And I'm interviewing one of them. And he's just as remarkable as some of the most amazing bloggers that you might, travel bloggers that you might know out there. In fact, somewhat more impressive. He's a 66-year-old man named Sim Blanchard, and he is just astounding, the amount of adventures that he's had. He's hiked half of Madagascar. He's walked El Camino Santiago. He's through-hiked the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail. He's done half of the Continental Divide Trail. He's hiked the Annapurna Circuit. He's swam across the river in Madagascar. He's hiked up Everest Base Camp. He's hiked all over the planet. He's biked across America. He's done cruise ships. He knows a ton about longevity. There's just so much you're going to learn from this episode. It's a two-hour mega episode, very entertaining. We share lots of adventures. It's one of my favorite episodes I've done so far on this podcast, so enjoy. Welcome to the Wonder Learn podcast. I'm here with Sim Blanchard. How are you, Sim? Very well, Francis. Okay, so Sim and I, we've known each other for years, and I, and I really admire, you're one of my heroes. I mean, really, what you've done with your life is truly amazing, and I want to kind of I think it's an inspiring thing. I want to impress people with what you've done. So you're right now you're 66 years old or 66 years young. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, and, 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 and tell us a little bit about your life, uh, kind of where you, you were born and raised. I was born in Los Angeles and grew up in Whittier, prettier Whittier. Um, my dad was an engineer, my mom a housewife. Uh, you were an engineer too, right? Yes. I, I got a degree in mechanical engineering as well as mathematics. Okay, where did you get your degree? At uh, uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Okay, yeah. right there. It's yeah. a very good uh, school. It's yeah, yeah, school, yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, Cal State Fullerton for the mathematics. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. So, um, now, did you grow up kind of in the hippie era? Uh, yeah, uh, we, I got. Did you have long hair once? I did. <laughs> I mean, you still have hair. You have more hair than I do. <laughs> um, yeah, it, the the big inspiration for me, besides drugs, was the <laughs> was, was the travel, and so uh, hitchhiking was the big thing. So I headed off across the U.S. to see the country, and and then got excited about that, and then decided to hitchhike with a friend up to Alaska. And then down, and then all the way across Canada to Newfoundland, and then back down to Boston and, and back again. How old were you when this happened? I was about twenty. Okay. Yeah, and then I decided to hitchhike down to South America. And, and this, sorry, what years were this? This was it, I hitchhiked to South America in seventy four, nineteen seventy four. Okay, you were getting away from uh, from anything, or you just kn- you know I. Um, I wanted to go into engineering, or yeah, engineering, and the whole uh, market collapsed. Um, there was uh, the, the the oil shock. Yeah, the oil shock, and there's big unemployment, and so I said, well, rather than do that, let me go hitchhike. Okay. <laughs> so, so so you know, I did, and that was the big thing in the in the hippie era. Right, uh, and that's the thing is that a lot of people, when the shit hits the fan, they look for jobs more passionately. They're like, shit, you know, it's so hard to get a job. I got to work my ass off. I got to find a job. When in fact, the best thing to do might be get the fuck out of Dodge, enjoy a little bit of life, come back when the economy is better, when it's easy to get a job. Exactly. And and actually, I had a, a degree in math. And then when I came back and I got a degree in mechanical engineering, they were dying for engineers. And we were making more money than our professors in entry-level jobs. So That's amazing. And then what year you came back? Uh, I came back in 75 and then spent the next few years uh, getting my engineering degree. And then I went to work for a public utility in 
uh, based out of San Francisco. PG&E. PG&E, yeah, yeah in, 1970, in 1981. Got it. And then how long were you working for PG&E, this public utility? Uh, I worked for them officially 33 years and then um, three years as a consultant. So you were working stiff. I was, I was. And it was amazing because I was able to, to travel a lot. Uh, beforehand, uh, you know, back uh, hitchhiking to South America. And then I hitchhiked around New Zealand for four months and Australia for seven months. And um, and it, that, that was all in your early 20s. Early 20s, yes. And then when I decided to have a career and settle down and have kids, then I, that just kind of went out the window. We did a few trips, but really it was kind of the stability and having things uh, safe and uh, stable for, for my children. And when did you get, well, I mean, you didn't lose the travel bug, but when did you decide to like finally cut the strings and, and go crazy again and, and rejoin your hippie roots and wanting to travel and, and all that stuff? Well, it was after my kids got into college or probably my last one went partway through college. And then I thought, okay, now's the time. And my my wife or my ex-wife wasn't too excited about traveling. And I was, and so I thought it was unfair that that uh, that she paid for my stuff, and I paid. You know, she wanted a, a new swimming pool and a or a, a remodeled kitchen. So we got a we had a wonderful marriage and a wonderful kids and a great divorce. So I, I'm on good terms with her, and I really enjoy seeing her. But I just love being independent, and I think she does too. Right, and so. The how much did the pool and the kitchen remodel? Well, how much was that going to set you back? Well, that'd probably be thirty thousand for you know, probably fifty thousand. Right, and yeah. so then you said, "Well, I could take that fifty thousand and travel for quite a long time with that." Exactly, and the money that I would spend traveling, she could have used it for the remodel and the and the pool. So, right, yeah, yeah. So it goes both ways. Okay, and so one of the things that's so inspiring to me is that here you were at sixty-five years old busting your balls out, walking with me in the middle of Madagascar. <laughs> I mean, it's just incredible. Like, that was tough hiking. Uh, we were, there was a mud-filled paradise, and you were out there slogging it out in the mud and the rain for days on end in a place where you couldn't even speak the language. You got mugged. You got somebody popped you in the face. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, the trail was 182 creeks that we crossed, rivers, and the last one we had to to uh, swim across with Rejoice, and uh, she couldn't swim. And so that was quite an adventure. Um, tell, us, tell us about that moment, because I remember it very, very well. Oh, yeah. We came up to the river, and we couldn't figure a way to get across, and, and Francis went up and down the river trying to find a way, and we tried to wade across a few times. This, and, is, this river was approximately 50 meters across, approximately? Yeah. 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 Maybe at its narrowest point, it was maybe only about four, four meters across or, or so. Exactly. That's, right. But, yeah. but at its widest point, it was like 50. And Rejoice is my wife. Uh, she cannot swim. She's She grew up in the desert. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, we, we, we filled our packs with air as much as we could. How did we do that? Um, what did we do? We, we used our water bladders yes. and then we blew air into the, we emptied out the water and we blew up air in the water bladders and we, any kind of container we did. Uh, and also we used a tarp to wrap it around things and the tarp itself kind of has a certain amount of buoyancy when you wrap up, let's say your sleeping bags or any of your food and that kind of stuff. That was one way to, to do it. But yeah, to create buoyancy in the pack so that the pack actually can float on the water and it becomes a flotation device, especially for rejoice. We basically gave all that 
bag of air to rejoice so that she could be, even if we fucked up, she could still float on her backpack. Exactly. Yeah, I went over first and pretty much paddled. Uh, it, it wasn't as bad as I thought. <laughs> I thought right. It, and then I grabbed onto one of the branches and 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 reached out for rejoice when you brought rejoice over. So let's put let's set the scene for the people so that they can kind of imagine what this was. Is that it was a a wide like fifty fifty yards fifty meters across, and then we could wade into the river up to a certain point. In which case the river became deep that you couldn't wade anymore. You would have to swim. And the, at that narrow point, the water was rushing at a high velocity. The only good news for us swimmers is that soon thereafter, it became a kind of a placid pool. So it wasn't like white water from there on out. It just was that narrow. So even if we got flushed out, at least we'd be flushed out into a kind of a a placid pool, but still it was pretty violent, the the speed that that water was c- coming through. And when, it wouldn't have been such a big deal if Rejoice hadn't been there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was the challenge. We, yeah. I mean, when you have somebody who doesn't know how to swim and you got to swim across a river that's like a white water river, things get complicated. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was. I, although it doesn't probably compare with your adventures going across the river and <laughs> climbing the highest mountain in Madagascar. Yeah, that was that <laughs> yeah. was another. Yeah, that's right. We You'll have another to talk river. about so that's that another sometime. story. Anyway, well, yeah, but okay. this story was fun. Yeah. So what you basically did is you had the courageous step. Here you are, sixty-five years old, just jumping into this river <laughs> and getting swept away by the white water, and you're going downstream at a fast pace, and you grab onto a branch, hang on to your dear life, and then you're like, okay, I'm stabilized, I'm down, I've got a solid footing. And then you're like, okay, you and Francis, sorry, you and Rejoice, Francis and Rejoice, both of you jump in simultaneously. I kind of would be the ex, you know, the the person right next to Rejoice, give her some comfort, and then hope that she could then somehow grab a hold of you, get outstretched arm. Yeah. So she had, to, and it was a very funny sensation. There we were. It was, we get into the river, and then all of a sudden we're as deep as we can go. We're past our our waist. Mm. And we, and I said, okay, rejoice. The next step is too deep and we're going to be swimming. And she's like, okay. I'm like, do you realize what that means? And immediately we jumped in and then all of a sudden we get swept away by the water. And then rejoice has this utter look of panic. Right? All of a sudden. Stepping the, off. Yeah. When you, when all of a sudden the ground underneath you oh. is gone. And this is not a big deal for somebody who knows how to swim. But if you don't know how to swim, all of a sudden the ground is no longer there? Yeah, she was not <laughs> confident at all. <laughs> but she did. The, she did we great. Take it. Yeah, 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 we went right across and, and up on the other side. Well, we were right towards the end of our hike. So this last little bit, it's like, okay, we're almost done. We're almost done. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we made it across. But then it turns out we thought we were completely done. And we had to walk, what, two miles across the uh, uh, muddy um muddy trail yeah and muddy trail is it's putting it nicely yeah i don't know what the hell that you can describe that but mud fest like i've never seen mud in my life francis has a wonderful video on him tromping through that (laughs) yeah no it's crazy so and then tell us about how you got punched in the face and mugged oh yeah i came back we i hacked up um uh, I was off by myself, and I hiked up this this uh, mountain. I forgot the name, and came back to my um, the hotel I was staying at, and I made a wrong turn, and it, it was a little cottage right on the ocean, 
And this guy joined up with me and I said, you know, where's this hotel? And he said, oh, it's just up a little, up a little ways. And we were hiking and, and uh, uh, we went on too far. And finally I said, well, I'm turning back. And so all of a sudden, boom, I got a punch in the, <laughs> in the side of the face. So the, from the same guy that you from were asking the, same, the question? Yeah, from the same guy. And I, we were by ourselves. And so he says, give me all your money. So I got it. Was it a hard punch? I mean, like, did it, they didn't knock you down on the ground? No, no, it it wasn't a big deal. It was just like a wake up call. Yeah, wake up call, <laughs> something to say, hey, give me your money. So I got in my karate stance, and then I gave him my money. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and you know, he was looking around and he was scared, so it wasn't like, oh, this is something they do all the time. And so, um, yeah, so he took all my money. I didn't have money for a taxi guy. And uh, for taxi, and didn't so, you ask him? Can you give me leave me a little bit of money? I kind of did, and he said no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you speak in English because I mean he's a francophone. Yeah, but but you think he understood? Like... But yeah, he spoke a little bit of English. Okay. And on the way back, I met a retired French person who gave me like twenty francs so I could catch the taxi back. Okay. Yeah. You, you told him I just been mugged. That's right. That's yeah. right. And, and he kind of said, "Yeah, you got to keep half your money in one pocket so you can give it to him, and then you right. got the rest of your money in the other." So and it was just money. It wasn't any documents. You know, it wasn't my, wasn't my passport. So. And uh, in Madagascar, also people started throwing rocks at us. Yeah. Oh, that was to me that was more frightening. Some kids um, started throwing rocks, and uh, they they uh, uh, good thing Rejoice had her umbrella up. But it, it one one of the rocks fell on it and broke it, and uh, she could have been hurt. And there were like twelve of them, and it looked like I mean it could be really dangerous. And these two um, Seventh Day Adventists uh, uh, rode up on their motorcycle, and we were able to stop them. And they uh, they knew the boys, and they were able to talk to them. And one of the boys was the chief's son, and so the the Seventh Day Adventist reminded the the kid that he was the chief's son and he had responsibilities. So, so he helped um, walk us out of that situation. As soon as we got out of sight, we ducked into some bushes <laughs> and hid out, slept there overnight just to make sure we we avoided them. But to me, that was more dangerous than than the um, uh, than what I experienced with the uh, sucker punch. When did you get into backpacking, like uh, wilderness backpacking? Um, I did a, a bit when I was younger. Uh, we we would in your twenties, uh, probably in the seventeen eighteen. A friend of mine, we would mm. uh, go down to the beach and and sleep out on the beach, and then we did some hiking in the mountains. Um, yeah, that. Uh, and then and and because oh. then you started doing through hiking. Then you you hiked. It was the first long trail that you did. I mean, you did it through section hikes. You did the PCT. You started with that. Um, you know, on a, uh, actually, the my real start was we a friend of mine and I hitchhiked up to Alaska, and so we did a number of hikes in Alaska, and also uh, Banff and Jasper. There's you didn't like, do the Brooks Range, no, no, okay. no, south of there. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I right. want to do the Brooks Range. Oh, it, have you ever be, even seen it? That would be so awesome. Have you even seen it? No, no. But There's this girl, a woman, uh, I don't know. She's pretty young in her 20s. Uh, she did this at least five years ago, maybe seven years ago. She basically did a through hike of the Brooks Range. She wasn't on the crest. Mm. Uh, most of the time she was just on the side of the Brooks Range, but still the scenery. I mean, a lot of times when you're next to the mountain, it can be actually the view can actually be more beautiful than when you're on top of the mountain because you get to admire the mountain. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that. I hope to do that sometime. Um, you know, honestly, I did the uh, John Muir Trail when I was like 26. This uh, was before you got married? Uh, before I got married, okay. yeah. 
And then um, I, uh, after I got married, then I did the Tahoe Rim Trail, going around Tahoe, and then finally did the PCT, uh, Pacific Crest Trail. You did that in sections. How many in sections? sections. Yeah, it was probably about four sections. Got it. And I was working full time. So I had a, uh, I developed a computer program, kind of an interface for project management, so I could do it from anywhere. So as long as I had internet. And so what I would do is I'd mail my, my PC to the next trail town, and I'd hike to there, and then I'd take it and I'd do work uh, pretty much during the week, like three or four days during the week, and then I'd mail it to the next trail town and then hike. What so year was, was this? Uh, that was probably 2009 through through 2016. And you were in your 50s at that point. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, and actually I'd... Um, I, uh, before I got the the uh, motivation to to uh, to go hiking and, and do exercise, I I was kind of grossly overweight, and so I lost seventy pounds, and uh, and started eating right and having a better lifestyle and getting exercise. And part of that, of course, was backpacking. We'll get into the longevity stuff because this is something that you really know a lot about, Sim. Mm. You uh, you've studied it. You've found out. We'll get into that. But first, I want to focus more on your travel experiences. A lot of people, especially once they get after they have their, their, whether they have the kids or not, they say, you know, oh, I'm too old to travel, you know, this kind of stuff. How did you kind of break the cycle and break the cycle of dependency? And and now you're like homeless. <laughs> I am home free, I like to call it. But yeah, I sold my house. Hold I, on, tell the, tell the story about that guy. He says, hey, are you a homeless guy? And you said, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was in, just in Nashville about a, a couple of months ago. And I was walking down the guy, the, the homeless guy says, hey, are you homeless? Because I probably look homeless. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, smell and, homeless. I go, and I go, yeah, I don't have a home. He says, where, where are you staying tonight? And I says, oh, I'm in this hostel over here. He says, oh, well, you're not homeless. <laughs> I go, okay, well, I really have it good. Because he probably didn't know where he was sleeping that night. <laughs> exactly, right. Right. So you're home free, as home you say. Home free, And when yeah. did you become home free? What, uh, because at some point you were living, I think, in Santa Rosa, not Santa Rosa, San Santa Ramon, Ramon yeah. in the Bay Area. And then, but even there, you were. Just, it was just a simple, like a one-room thing, right? Yeah, yeah, one room. And, and you were making good money. I mean, it's not like you couldn't afford, a, like, a two-bedroom place or a three-bedroom. You could have. Yeah, yeah, I could have. And, and it, it, you inspired me, Francis, and it's kind of live below your means. And so I would save as as much as I could and just spend my money on experiences and not material things. So I uh, I did have the place in San Ramon, but I, I just took like a hundred, you know, two suitcases and the rest I gave to my landlord and said, here it is. It's probably worth about 10000 but you have to get rid of it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so home free. I haven't had a car for like seven years. I mean, I do drive, but if I have to, but um, mainly public transportation and Uber. Right. And so this is a fascinating, like you've really gone minimalist. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so for somebody who's struggling about trying to go minimalist, where do they start? Like, how did you start? How did, where did you get going? Like, what's the easy, what was the easy first step for you to take? Um, I guess it was figuring out my lifestyle or what was important. And I finally figured out it's backpacking, bicycling, and travel. And then I just got the the basic things that I needed to do to do that and got rid of everything else. What are some of the accomplishments as far as distance? And, and, and you've done the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. You've done the Pacific Crest Trail. Yeah. You're in the middle right now of doing the Continental Divide Trail. You've accomplished how much of the uh, the Continental Divide Trail you've done about 
70 percent yet uh no a quarter a quarter uh, I, okay. yeah 800 miles so you did uh but i thought you did all of new mexico uh pretty much i'm missing a little bit that's and, like 700 miles isn't it uh yeah oh. 800 uh, i i still missed i missed a section my my mom passed away this last may so i had to take time off so i'm uh, there's a still a section in okay new and mexico then but and then your next in 2019 you plan to do the northern part of the cdt uh, yeah, I'm hoping to do, um, finish up New Mexico and then hike north from Salida up to Rollins and then... Rollins is in Wyoming. Wyoming, yeah. And then, uh, I may zip up and do the Great Divide Trail, which goes, uh, goes from the border of Canada up to, I believe, Jasper. And, um, yeah, and then maybe areas in, in Montana too, depending on how much time... Um, well, I'll probably be heading over to uh, Burning Man with you, so, yeah, let's I'll, so I'll take a little time off. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> so tell me about this this time on the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail. You sectioned hike it. Now, mm-hmm. one of the things that, I mean, section hiking, obviously you can pick the best time of year to go on each section. That's one of the beautiful things. You don't have to like tough it out through the hot, humid summer if that's not what you want. If you want to see the foliage, you go in the fall. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You pick the right time. And I mean, the challenge of that is that you kind of have to be in shape all the time so that, you know, it's not like, okay, I'm just doing it in one year and you're in, you know, you're getting into the rhythm and you go. Uh, Whereas here, I'll usually do about 800 miles or a thousand miles at a time, uh, but then come back the next year and have to start off. And usually I do about 30 miles a day, but, you know, it depends. Appalachian Trail was a bit slower. I thought that was a bit tougher. But um, Continental Divide Trail and the in the PCT, I, I think, are are a lot easier. Um, you know, as far as the going straight up and straight down. But who would you say is better suited for the Appalachian Trail? Somebody would say, you know what, you need to go on the Appalachian Trail, not the PCT. Uh, well, it's more of a social trail. And uh, you have to be in really good shape, you know, because you're you're going hand over fist up and down. So, uh, yeah. And the one exception I would say is the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, yeah. The Mid-Atlantic is pretty flat. I mean, it's rocky at points. Rocksylvania uh, uh, right, is a little bit right. rocky. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I mean, but, overall, I mean, if that that's pretty. But yeah, there's certainly certainly in the North, New England, it's especially especially yeah. in New, New Hampshire, Hampshire and Maine. <laughs> South Maine. Yeah. 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 Whew. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Southern Maine is tough, yeah. real tough. Um, it's you're from California and you think, oh, I'm you know, oh, I'm from California. I hike these fourteen thousand feet. You know, oh, this is only four thousand meter, oh, yeah. four thousand foot mountain. Who cares? And then you get your ass kicked. I got my ass kicked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was bad. <laughs> Did you suffer any injuries? Uh, yeah, probably about every injury. I had <laughs> plantar fasciitis and tendonitis and. I fell when in Oregon. I I fell and broke my ankle and my shoulder, and I had to walk twenty miles to get out. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, yeah, just uh, hiking along. I just finished hiking the lava, and it's just past Sisters, north of Sisters, and this uh, is in Oregon. Oregon, yeah. yeah. And one of my my foot slipped, and I had a, a what were you, I mean, slipped just just walking on the trail. Yeah, just walking on the trail, and it was it was on the side of a cliff. And I think my ankles were sore or whatever. And one foot slipped and the other one rolled. And then I just went and my my backpack was cinched in. I had a hip belt at that time. I don't have a hip belt anymore. And I just I fell right on my shoulder and it dislocated. And uh, I had to pop it back in. And, and you were alone. 
uh, I was alone, but there were other people, and a couple people met me on the. I mean, I met with a couple people, and they checked to see if I was okay. Okay. So, how long were you alone after the accident? How many it was, minutes? It was probably about an hour. Okay. Yeah. And, and the, you sat there for an hour. I did. I suppose you weren't moving for an hour. Uh, yeah, I. You was, didn't like hop up and like okay, pop in my shoulder and keep walking. Let's actually, go. I did. Okay. <laughs> and and I fell again. Oh, I, I must brilliant. have. Been, I didn't think I was, but I. You I fucking think, idiot. <laughs> I know. I rolled over off the side of the trail and a and a big rock fell right on my chest and well, I how had bruised ribs. I was. I don't know. I, was, I must have been really tired. I didn't think I was, but but I was, and so yeah. So I um. I, I got up on the trail, and uh, a, fr- a friend of mine who was hiking with me, he, he helped me over to a campsite, and so I slept the night there and then hiked the 20 miles out and got a ride from the forest range, from the ranger, and he, he took me down to Eugene, and then I took the train down and went to the uh, hospital, and they, um, they uh, I was getting an x-ray and the, the nurse said, put your hand up like th- up to this level. And I went and did that and dislocated again. Fuck. Yeah. And so the doctor had to shoot me with, uh, uh, you know, took 20 minutes and finally shot me with, um, with a, a pain reducer. And yeah. And so uh, they got it back in. And then how long, and then what, after one or two days you went right back on the trail? Uh, no, I, I had surgery. And oh, okay. yeah, yeah. And got that fixed. And were then, you, you were done for the season? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I came back next season. You're not, you're kind of, it. okay. You're not, you're kind of a pussy. Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am. <laughs> I, I don't get off if on If you're a real man, you would have gone <laughs> out and right. I got a fucking trail. Go to the end. <laughs> Rough as gate guts, mate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. So then, but, th- but you went back the next year to complete the section. Yeah. Yeah, and and complete the rest of it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. tell us, kind of like, convince people why section hiking is the way to go. Um, if you've got a full time job and trying to make money, and you want it, yeah, uh, and and you feel like you can come back each time um, to do those sections, um, yeah, and you can hit the right season for the right place. Um, I don't have any any transportation. I don't have a car or anything, so I kind of need to time my my um, my sections uh, based on public transportation, mm-hmm. you know, buses and and the like, and and trail angels. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. what what kind of advice would you give people who are getting close to retirement, as far as you know, they have fears about traveling, about backpacking? How would you get them to like get off their ass? Uh, the alternative's horrible. <laughs> if you sit and watch TV and and are sedentary, your chances of heart attack and and cancer and everything else. You you need the vitamin L for lifestyle, and that means eating right and exercising, and um, you know getting enough sleep and having a good social environment. And talk about the vitamin L. Uh, yeah. What do you mean by vitamin L? I mean all those the all those things. The uh, the Life. nutrition. Yeah. Uh, uh, nutrition, um, getting enough sleep, the right exercise, mm-hmm. socially, uh, you know, being connected with people, and you get all that on backpacking. I mean, you're out in nature, you're you're getting lots of exercise, fresh air, fresh air. Hopefully, you're eating right. That's key. Right. The and, water is really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, um, yeah. I usually don't filter it, right. and uh, yeah, and you usually, I usually. Go to go to bed when the sun goes down and get up when the sun comes up. So you get into the circadian rhythm, which studies show that that's really healthy for you. Right. No, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, sleep is a is is paramount. 
Yeah. And it, you know, despite my getting injured a few times, it's really healthy because you're just walking, you know, you're just hiking. Right. Low impact. Low impact. You're not running. You're not jogging. It's, yeah, it's low impact. But I think also low impact is helpful because you go relatively light. I mean, you're a pretty stringent backpacker. Give us an idea of how heavy your backpack is without food and water. Yeah. Without food and water, it's about six pounds. Wow. So that's like less than three kilograms. Yeah. That's amazing. And so where, I know you use Gossamer gear as a backpack. Any other, uh, your favorite gear that you like to use in your backpack? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, the Mer- you, have, you have Z-Packs. Yeah, it's the Breeze, and I have Z-Pack um, uh, sleeping bag, and I've got a bivy bag, uh, I'm sorry, Z-Pack bivy bag, and a Z-Pack sleeping quilt, and um, and platypus bladder. I have a three liter bla- bladder, <laughs> not in me, but <laughs> that I carry. And with a yeah, with a filter, so um, inline filter. So, and you're a hydration nut. I never seen somebody drink as much as you. <laughs> I, I love to drink. <laughs> <laughs> you're a total so, <laughs> like addicted to water. Yeah, yeah. So I'm <laughs> sipping all the time. Yeah, I mean, and, how often do you pee per during a hike? Uh, as often as I can. Probably once every. Every couple hours, yeah. Okay, so maybe about fifteen times a day. Yeah, yeah. If I can, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually yeah. less than. If it's only a couple of hours, it's less than fifteen. Yeah, I do it like sometimes twenty. Oh, is it's that crazy? Right? Yeah, yeah. Not... We were talking that that's that's the hard part about women hiking is that they're reluctant to pee in the in the wilderness, so they don't bring an umbrella. It. Bring an umbrella. Yeah, that's yeah. the secret. I think that if a woman carries an umbrella, not only do you get shade and rain protection, but on top of that, you get a free um privacy screen oh that's a good idea yeah, yeah i mean yeah. they can they can they can put up a privacy screen put up their umbrella and just squat pee and nobody can see you, you even if it's on a busy trail it's like creating a tree right you know blocking blocking the view i mean it's pretty pretty great for a woman i think yeah great idea and the, and of course when the sun's out it, that uh, umbrella is perfect for um yeah reducing the temperature uh, uh, by about 15 degrees sometimes now, Sim, you went up to Mount Everest's base camp, yes. and your son actually went to the fucking summit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We about, uh, I guess, about five or six years ago, we both hiked up to the Everest base camp, and then I did Annapurna, Annapurna circuit, and then my son came back um, just this last May. He climbed Mount Everest, and he's climbing the highest peaks on each continent. And he's finished them all except for um, Denali in Alaska, which he tried twice. He tried twice, and the weather got him, you know, pushed him back. So I think he's going to try again. <laughs> Do you know the, the the details of what exactly happened on the weather wise? I mean, he just didn't have enough food to wait out the storm. Uh, they waited out out about two weeks, and I think they have a certain uh, period of time that they they do that. But it's yeah, just the storms, and and a number of people died up there during really? the same storm yeah not really? in his group but in another group wow yeah so. and he, he was doing the western buttress i don't know okay i mean, I mean that's what most people do is the, it's the kind of the the most popular way to get up to the summit of denali and okay. it is a you know it's just a just a walk in other words just it's not like vertical climbing with you know all this kind of stuff but but it's not easy, and a lot of people underestimate Denali. They think it's like, oh, it's only twenty thousand something feet, and but it's because of the latitude is so high, and because the temperatures are so cold, it's a real 
ball buster. Yeah, well, yeah, especially when storms come in. And he's got a really good suit now that he he brought from Everest. So uh, he said he feels a lot more confident about doing Denali and even by. Did he have frostbite out there? I mean, did he no. have? So, but but why is he much more confident? Did he have a shitty suit before? Uh, just that he feel more confident going out into storms and going and and dealing with you know high winds and and really cold temperatures. Yeah, because normally Denali takes three weeks, I believe. Mm. And so if he was sitting out there on his for like two weeks waiting for a storm to pass, yeah, then you just chew through all your reserves. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And and the other thing is actually you have more reserves than you think. I imagine, I've never done Denali, so I'm talking out of my ass here, but I'm guessing that there's a lot of caches, food caches that people abandon, you know, abandon expeditions. And so there's got to be in caves and little places like that here and there. You can probably find like, three-year-old food that's been sitting there <laughs> oh, but it's like freeze-dried i mean it's totally fine it's been frozen and everything and even if it was and, and it's probably totally edible and, and fine if you just find it and you can kind of stretch yourself out i remember the story of this guy who went up he i think he was swedish he was scandinavian and he took his bicycle from scandinavia and he biked all the way to mount everest oh my goodness and then he climbed up mount everest and on his way to the summit he either ran out of food or something like that but he found a cache, a, a food cache, full of butter. <laughs> and he just gorged on pure butter. Oh. And that gave him enough calories to get up his ass to the summit and get it done. <laughs> oh, and I, I, I can't remember if he biked back to Scandinavia, but that was his thing. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. Um, and so tell us about your trip up uh, to the base camp of Everest. How was that? Did you feel it was like overly commercialized or did you feel it was uh, still a, a thrilling adventure? Uh, how did, how was your, was it, was it challenging or, or was it easy to acclimatize? Um, it was enjoyable. It wasn't really difficult. Um, you know, we're, it's a nice trail and there's a lot of people on it. I mean, you, it, I, I kind of like it. It's like the Camino the Santiago. You get to meet a lot of people. You didn't do the Camino though. Yeah. Yeah. You have, a- not, actually, you have not done it. I did the last hundred kilometers and I'm going to finish the whole thing. Wait, you all did? All the way to Finisterre. You did do the last hundred kilometers. Yeah, with okay, my girlfriend. It was the first one. And then this year we're going to go. You've done so many adventures. I can't keep up with you. <laughs> I'm trying to keep up with you, Francis. You're my inspiration. Damn. Okay. So it was a nice hike. There's a lot of steps, you know, especially Annapurna uh, Base Camp. Is, is mean the circuit. Uh, and the circuit. There's a base camp and then there's a circuit also. And the, the, aren't they aren't they on the same trail? No, no, they're, they're not on the same trail. No, no, you got to do separate. Annapurna Base Camp is not on is is not in the circuit. No, no, that's separate. And actually, the circuit's getting smaller and smaller because they keep keep building the road <laughs> farther and farther along the trail. So, oh. so, but no, it's separate. And the, yeah, Annapurna Circuit—it's just beautiful. Do it's, you have to? How much do you have to pay for a permit for Annapurna Circuit? Do you I remember? Th- I think it was free. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and so you just and, pay for the hostels along the way and that kind of stuff. The, the uh, huts. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. so there's pretty much a hut everywhere. You don't really camp outside, I imagine. Uh, it's pretty right. developed. Yeah, we right. did the huts. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so. and actually, the the first ever space camp, we got a Sherpa just because we weren't familiar with it. Okay, and so it was great. You had just one Sherpa for the base camp. Uh, for ever space camp, yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. and so it was you and your and your son. Yeah. Anybody else? No. And then oh, we, but wait, so at that point, he wasn't planning to gun for the summit at that point? No, not yet. He was just dicking around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we'd done Kilimanjaro before. 
Okay. Yeah, and and he he got inspired. <laughs> and then he had altitude sickness in Kili. Yeah, yeah, he got altitude. Did he vomit? Yeah, yeah. Well, and anything... they had to help him down and everything. And now he what do you mean help him down? Not on a stretcher. No, no, just, just kind of like put an arm around. Yeah, him. put yeah. an arm around him, and and uh, he was kind of wobbly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he did great, and going up, you know, he he was. How long did, was it? Six days. Yeah. Yeah, okay. we did the Coca-Cola route, so yeah, it was yeah. it was the easy one. We wanted to make sure we went up. Yeah, but no, but it's not an easy route because you go up so fast. The Coca-Cola route on Kilimanjaro is actually tough because you got to acclimatize really fast, and if you know the, you don't have the luxury to acclimatize. Yeah. So it's actually it's not easy. Um, mm. I think it's easier if you took seven, eight, nine days. Yeah, we did six. Yeah, that's, so, that's was, pushing. I mean, some people do four and five. but Yeah, I, I did five the oh, second did. time. The oh. first time I took nine days. Oh, okay. And I feel equally shitty on both. <laughs> Is that right? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first, be, part of the reason, just to give you some background for yeah. the, the people who are listening, part of the reason is that on the uh, nine-month Sorry, on the nine-day one, I was sick before we even started. Oh, no. So I was already sick at, you know, whatever base. I, you know, before I even started hiking, I was already not feeling well. And was so, that from the malaria? I don't know. I don't think malaria was the problem. I think, I can't remember if I had had malaria at that point or not. But anyway, no, it wasn't that. It was some other thing that it was kind of, I was queasy. I was not feeling great. Mm-hmm. And so as I was getting higher in altitude... I think the sickness was not allowing me to acclimatize mm-hmm. as fast as I would have over a nine-day period. So by the time I got to the summit, I vomited right there at the summit. And yeah. then then a couple of years later, I went with Rejoice. Oh. There we did it in five days, and I got to the summit, and I vomited again. And But there for a clear altitude, you know, five days is really pushing. Some people can acclimatize fast. I cannot. Yeah. But you do pretty well. I, I, yeah, I've been fortunate. I, I haven't had any, I did a little bit in Bolivia when I was hiking, but not, not, and nothing since. And my son got a, a, a tent that is a oxygen deprivation, deprivation tent that he would sleep under. And that helped him a lot too. Okay. And then you spent, uh, your son, Tim spent like a hundred grand. <laughs> yeah. That's what he said to, to just to climb Everest. One hundred fucking thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like, I mean, it's it's on the high end. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know that people can do it for as little as probably 25 grand. It's probably nowadays, the 2019 prices are probably 25 grand. Uh, yeah, I, I I had heard 50 or 60, but... I, yeah, I, no, I, I'm talking about like real bottom basement. You go to oh, the yeah, Chinese, maybe so, yeah. the Chinese side of, of, of Everest uh-huh. is cheaper than the Nepalese side. Oh, okay. And so I think if you go to the Chinese thing and you don't have like you have one guide for like 10 people and no sherpa and very little oxygen and you know basically you cut every corner you can yeah yeah then it's probably like because because the permit itself just the fee that you have to pay with the government I think it's around fifteen thousand. Oh my gosh! Something like that. Yeah. All right. He got a really good company too. Yeah, he got I top mean, of the line. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot the name. And of it. everybody made it on his in his group. Yes, which is yeah. pretty remarkable. Yeah. So yeah. so uh, now I, maybe one day I'll talk to Tim. But can you t- share some takeaways that he had from that Everest journey? It took him six weeks, I imagine. Uh, two months. Two okay. months. Okay. Yeah. And and he uh, he was pretty wasted when he finished. I mean, he he was bulked up. He had tons of muscle. And I kind of mentioned, shouldn't you get some fat on you? And he says, no, no, no. We'll, I'll just burn the muscle off. And so <laughs> when, 
so so when he finished up he said he just he looked like a scarecrow i mean usually he's he's pretty he lifts a lot of weights and stuff and and so he uh yeah he came off and he said he had to work out for quite a quite a few months to get it get it back god yeah yeah no you tip to people who are listening you don't burn off the muscle. <laughs> really? No, in other words, you don't want to, in other words, you want to build up, if you're going to do something like yeah. that, it's burning muscle, that's, you know. <laughs> that's what he did. He he said, I'm going to burn muscle, and so he did. I mean, you know, and because it uses a lot of energy. It's just not to, efficient. It's not efficient. Yeah. The body burns the muscle when it has no other alternative. Right, that's you know, right. It's not an efficient energy store. Well, the, the muscle helps get you up the mountain. So yes, but anyway, I I I, it, I was surprised when he told me. So you you yeah. could be right, but yeah, he made it. <laughs> he made it. That's all that matters. Yeah. And uh, did he find it uh, overly commercialized? Was he turned off in any way, or he's just totally stoked? I think way? he was totally stoked. I didn't hear anything about negative. Yeah, negative. No. Okay. And yeah. and and did he find that there was a lot of prima donnas or people like had short roped and just kind of this kind of shit? You he know, stuff that you read in. Into thin air by John Krakauer. He just he told me that there were a lot of real interesting people, you know, that could afford a hundred thousand yeah. to climb, and so you know, yeah, people from that you'd sit in the tent with for you know three, for six weeks, and uh, talking with them, and so he he made a lot of good contacts and people that he that uh, have interesting life stories. He's uh about forty something. Oh, uh, my son just turned thirty. Okay, just turned. Uh, yeah, he's a young pup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, so, uh, talk a little bit more about your the minimalism that allows you to do what you do, Sim. Like, uh, how how much shit do you have? Um, it's down to about a hundred things, and, and and basically it's everything, just the things I need for to do what I want to do. So, I've traded material things for experience, and so it's I I've narrowed it down to just backpacking, um, you know, hiking, bicycling. Uh, I, I do want to do canoeing later. You on. have a bicycle? Yes. Okay, so that's one of your hundred things. Yeah, yeah. You have a toothbrush. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> yeah, I actually took a, a bicycle ride across uh, the U.S. from uh, Oregon to New Hampshire. What year did you do that? Uh, seven. I'm sorry, 2014. Yeah. 2014. You went from Oregon to New Hampshire. You didn't get to the to the Atlantic coast, you pussy. Yeah, New Hampshire on the on the coast, Portsmouth. Portsmouth. Oh, so New Hampshire is it touches. I didn't know New Hampshire touches the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> right over from Amherst. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> <Hike> across. <laughs> wow. Who knew? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as Donald Trump said, who knew? <laughs> who knew New Hampshire had coastline? New Hampshire has coastline. Yeah, yeah. God, I gotta move to New Hampshire. <laughs> they don't have like a they have like a different tax system too. I think uh, probably yeah. yeah. They have like uh, either it's only property tax or something like that. They have like no sales tax and no income tax, and I think it's something like that. Anyway, they have a unique taxing system in New Hampshire. Huh? It's huh. a it's 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 a different. It, I, I know they don't have an income tax. I'm pretty sure. I'm like eighty five percent sure that they don't have an income tax. But anyway, so. You biked across Oregon to New Hampshire, and that was in 2014. Yeah. And how was that experience? Oh. And you did it with a group, right? It was. It was. And, and what is it? What's the name of the group? Uh, America by Bicycle. Highly okay. recommend it. And uh, how how much was it? 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> Approximately, I, I mean, roughly a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. Yeah, I think it was about twenty five hundred okay. or two thousand. And what do you get for that? Uh, they give you breakfast. They have um, uh, support vans. They just give you one fucking breakfast? No, just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> su- support vehicles um, okay. and and snacks along the way, and usually a lot of times uh, dinner, but um, and then they put you in hotels, and it's like three star, you know, Best Western. And the like, and they've got. Oh, a so night. the hotels are included, and it takes about what yeah. uh, uh, three weeks or a month? Uh, Fifty days, seven weeks. Oh, two, oh, that's that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Average about eighty miles a day. Yeah, that's like a. I mean, it's it's intense, but it's it's doable. Yeah, yeah. It's it wasn't. It's hard. like a eight hour day or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's totally doable. I mean, for somebody like you who's done through hikes where you do sixteen hour days. Yeah, it turns out I've got a lot of stamina, but I'm I don't have speed, so I yeah, just went fine. slow and steady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean that's it. the secret to all your hikes and all your endurance shit that you do. Exactly. I'm not an adrenaline person. So. This is something that those of you who are older than fifty, uh, who kind of feel discouraged, this is one of the great things about these endurance sports is that you don't lose endurance that fast as you get older i mean you're able to just do these long there's a lot of people i've seen on the trails and i'm sure you saw them in the bike rides that are up there in years they're past their 50s and yet they're pumping out and doing these long long hikes or trails or or i just met this woman uh for thanksgiving she was doing a paddling on the yukon river for like 800 miles or something ridiculous and distant maybe it was 400 miles but it's a a long long uh uh trip and it's an but it but it's also like an endurance thing she took like i think it's three or four days to do it so in other words they get they're sleep deprived and they're just like pushing it but she's like a cancer patient she has lost all her hair she went through chemotherapy and she's Got to be in her 50s. 50s. Yeah. And so she's just, but there she was doing this kick-ass thing on the Yukon River. Amazing. Paddling on, you know, one of those paddle boards when you're standing up with the paddle board. Oh, really? Standing up. Wow, yeah, standing you. up. Yeah, yeah, we've got the endurance. She did it on the, in the British Columbia. Yeah, but you have it in, Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah, I met a guy who's 82, and he was trying to be the oldest guy to hike the Appalachian Trail. So Great. your 100 things that you own, Sim, do you actually have you actually done an accounting of it, or are you just ballparking it? I'm ballparking it. Okay, yeah. so yeah. Uh, what are your five most valuable things that you can think of? you got a bicycle. That, that's got to be one of more your value. You have your computer. You have a phone. Yeah, yeah. I got a cell phone. That's so important. Um, a Surface uh, computer. Uh, I actually have a Kindle, which I probably don't need, but I, I just love the, 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 yeah, the size of it. Well, it feeds but, your brain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what a Kindle does. It's, yeah. It's, it's brain food. Exactly, right. exactly. And, uh, it, and it encourages you to read. Yeah. And that's something in today's society where there's YouTube everywhere that we don't do. You know, and I think that any incentive, it's kind of like a, I see a Kindle like a gym membership. In other words, Mm. you're like, fuck, I'm paying, you know, 50 bucks a month or $100 a month. I got to use the gym because I'm paying this monthly fee. I mean, Kindle is not a subscription, but it's an investment. You have to pay a hundred bucks. And so therefore you got to start using it. Otherwise you just wasted a hundred bucks on nothing. It could be a two or $300 model. But the point is, is that a Kindle kind of, uh, encourages you to read and it makes it such a pleasant experience to read and it doesn't have to be a kindle it could be any ebook reader but anything that has that e-ink it makes a big difference exactly and, and the big thing too is you're not carrying the paper and you're not carrying the books so you can travel anywhere and you know i'm on the trail and i can read off my cell phone if i want to 
The other huge thing is getting audible. I, li- I listen to a lot of books, you know, I love books, and then also um, uh, podcasts, especially yours, <laughs> but, <laughs> well, mine's but others. So, so I'll download them all. And What then, are your uh, top five favorite podcasts? That uh, you can, I know you know, like you like Ritual. Yeah, Ritual is awesome. Uh, I actually like The Minimalists. Um, I listen to a lot of NPR, uh, uh, the, the uh, global po- uh, global podcast, Alex Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Um, and where do you, uh, do you listen to this while you're on a bike ride or hiking or doing the dishes or? Yeah, usually uh, hiking, you know, I mean, you've got, you know, 12 hours hiking. And so it's. How do you of, recharge your stuff? I have four batteries that I take with me. They're 1500 uh uh, milliamps, milliamp hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so they last uh, probably a day and a half each one, mm-hmm. and then I just recharge those as I go along. But um, yeah, and so I've gone through a lot of books and a lot of uh, podcasts. You don't believe in solar chargers? No. Uh-uh. Why not? Uh, they don't seem to. Uh, I'm not in any one place at one time, and they're extra weight. And well, they're not extra weight if you just get if you got rid of one of your three batteries. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I, I think what it comes down to is that you know you're going to get to an electricity outlet in every four or five days. Exactly. And you know that the three batteries that you have are going to get you through those three, four days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And usually, you know, I mean, if we're hiking through a lot of shade and like on the Appalachian Trail and places, some of the uh, Continental Divide Trail, and you may not get the sun you need. So it's... Any of these adventures? I mean, you've done so many adventures. Any of them that you kind of would tell somebody, don't do this? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they're, all, they're all good. Um, no, no. Uh, even the one we did in Lesotho where we're, we're uh, with the oh, wind yeah. going against us and we're struggling against. Oh, yeah, was, I totally <laughs> forgot about this. I mean, like, shit, I can't keep up with your adventures. I can't even remember our adventures together. So, I mean, you're right. I forgot about that. I keep thinking about Madagascar because that was the last thing. You and I did, but yeah. before that, you and I did the Drakensberg Traverse, which uh-huh. goes across the southern part of it's. It's on near the border of South Africa and Lesotho, mm. and it's a spectacular mountain range that uh, is. I can't remember how many kilometers it was. Do you have any idea how long it took? Was it like I we it did the whole thing, right? We did. So, so we it was. Did. I want to say like three hundred something kilometers, or something, I think, but yeah. I could be wrong. But yeah. it, it took about a. It took over a week. Didn't yeah, it? It, yeah. Or I think I think it took about over a week. Maybe a eight day, eight or nine days. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and it was so beautiful. It I mean, was a spectacular. Fog coming up over the cliffs, and I mean, it was like being on the edge of the world. Right, right. So, but tell us a little bit about that experience when we like we were. I wouldn't say we were endangered, like life or death, but. Definitely, we would have been seriously fucked and maybe died if we had spent there overnight. Yeah, yeah. The wind was coming up. Um, we were hiking with Margot from uh, Moldavia, and she was a Moldova. Kick. Uh, Moldova, sorry. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she was a kick. But um, yeah, after. But that, she, at that point, she had already left. I think she already left. She was not. I mean, thank God she wasn't with us at that point. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, she was not. Her knee had kind of worn out. We were all by ourselves, just you and me. Yeah, yeah. And and the wind was coming in, and we had our umbrellas out, and we were just struggling against the wind, trying to get behind some some rocks. But and, it wasn't just wind, dude. It, it was like fog and rain and yeah, shit and cold. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it was vicious wind. Yeah. It yeah. was like ball-busting wind. Yeah. I mean, so just to put it in perspective, we were uh, 
it was windy and raining so much and at such a high velocity and we were kind of shivering we, were, we didn't have that much rain gear and kind of warm clothes we were depending more on our ability to just keep moving to keep us warm and then we would camp of course and uh, and that's always been a good through hiking strategy but we were paying the price big yeah. time on that particular and the sun was setting yeah and so we only had about an hour of daylight left and so the temperature was starting to drop there was no daylight of course at that point and we're coming up and, and because the wind was so vicious I wasn't even motivated to like look at my GPS because yeah. it was going to take too much time to pull it out, take off my gloves and all this other crap. So I was just like, you know what? This looks like a nice trail. We just keep walking this way, keep walking this way. <laughs> and it wasn't a well-marked trail at all. I mean, it's just kind of no. like, it's, it's uh -huh. like a wilderness there. And I, we just kept walking, walking. And we're walking with the wind to our back. Mm. It was really nice because so, so it's kind of like, you you have the backpack protects your back, so it's it was cold and windy, but the wind is to your back, so you don't really feel it. Yeah, wasn't too. And bad. so kind of like when the wind is on your back, you don't really feel like going any other way than just keep going the way you're going. Yeah. And it was kind of flat the way we were going, and then suddenly, as the as because the clouds weren't the the fog ruined our visibility, we come to a fucking cliff. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We couldn't go any farther. <laughs> and we're it like, looked great. Yeah. We're like, we're fucking cliffed out. It's just this cliff that just drops like a thousand meters. Yeah. And you said, look, it goes right across on the GPS <laughs> right. beforehand, but right. it, but it would drop a thousand feet. And, we and go, then goes right across. <laughs> yeah. I go, and Francis says, oh, I think we'll go down. I said, nope, <laughs> no way. Did I really suggest that you we go down? Yeah, at first. And then you kind of go, oh, no, I think maybe, maybe we better go around. Yeah, so, I probably looked at like something but yeah. then I, I don't even know if it was that what the hell i was thinking but all i just knew that we were royally fucked at that point yeah yeah we found a shepherd's hut do you remember that no you but remember? that was after hold oh, on another okay right, that ahead, was after okay. so then what happened was we we then said shit we are obviously the wrong way we're kind of in a dead end here we have to go back the way we came yeah and then that's when it was brutal because we would have to walk into the wind yeah and that's another experience when you've got the <laughs> wind in your back going viciously hard it's pushing you along it's easy to walk when yeah, the wind yeah. is pushing you from behind but you got to face that fucking wind fuck yeah. that was hard we we're like 45 degree angles yeah we were just kind of mm -hmm. leaning into the whole thing but before we did that we kind of like regrouped and by a rock there was a, <laughs> a big rock about a three meter high rock that provided a nice wind barrier yeah and we kind of huddled there you and I just kind of like trying to gain our senses and say, what the fuck do we do now? Yeah. Should we go this way, that way, this way, pull out the GPS, figure out where we're going, where did we go wrong? And we regrouped there and we were somehow foolishly, at least I was thinking, maybe if we wait here for about 20 minutes, this wind will <laughs> yeah. die down. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, didn't you think that maybe this was just a fluke? Yeah, yeah. But then I then it, it was became apparent that this probably is always there at that mm. particular place because of the geography because of the cliff attracts like a wind tunnel yeah. of some sort so then i realized you know we could be here probably for three weeks and the wind wouldn't fucking change and with hypothermia <laughs> of course yeah. right right and no food yeah so so i was like you know what whether we stay here for three more minutes or three more weeks it's probably going to be the same bullshit so yeah. we got to like man up yeah and get the fuck out of dodge and yeah. that was when we just took a deep, deep breath and we said, let's 
we almost ran. I mean, we just we to did. stay warm yeah, because we yeah. were so shivering and freezing and our, <laughs> our, all our, 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 our feet were numb. Everything was numb yeah. and we were wet Yeah, because, yeah. you know, the umbrellas were basically useless because um, they couldn't uh, go against the wind. So we just toughed it out and yeah. we just ran as fast as we can. And finally, after about a, about 30 minutes, I think, of just nonstop pushing, pushing, pushing. We finally got to the wind calmed down a bit because we got it for, far enough away from the cliff. And then eventually, like you said, about a half an hour after that, maybe about an hour of walking, we found a shepherd's hut. Yeah, that's that right. Was, that's and that, there was still daylight left. Yeah. And we thought, well, we should push it because we got another half hour to an hour of daylight. But we were so mentally exhausted from that experience that we're like, you know what? <laughs> we're... That was a memorable experience. Yeah. So... <laughs> let's just go back and let's just uh, camp in this. Because it was nice. It was, a, yeah. it was a hut made out of stone. Yeah. So it blocked all the wind. It was going to be a fucking cold night. It was, yeah. you know, it was near freezing. And again, it's not like we had a ton of warm clothes. And so we were like, let's just camp out here. And that was a nice camping spot. Although it was irregular. We didn't have like a totally flat surface, but... Hey, we, we're not we, picky. We survived. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was all right. Yeah, yeah the, some the shepherds were really interesting. I, I remember we were camping out one time, and the shepherds were yelling, "Give us your money or give us your guns, white man!" <laughs> and uh, and I understand, like a week later, there were a couple hikers that were macheted, and uh, and almost died. Uh, yeah, it was a little yeah a little that, dangerous. That is, it, it is. Uh, I've heard several stories in Lesotho where people have been mugged for yeah. their stuff it's it's pity it's a real pity because they could use the tourism and and that kind of event discourages it but it, it's not that common yeah and but we had a nice conversation with one of the shepherds uh he was he was asking us about our our personal wealth and he says well do you have any That's chickens it. and we said no do you have any any sheep no you know how about any pig any pig <laughs> he said no he says, you don't well, have a fucking pig <laughs> Yeah, well, you guys are sure poor. And I go, yeah, I guess we are. <laughs> you guys suck. You don't even have a goddamn pig. <laughs> he was not impressed. I was like, what about this, you know, like, uh, wind-resistant jacket I got? Not impressed. He's like, you know, I got a wool jacket. It just does me fine. Yeah, no, it was amazing. Okay, so another thing that you've really studied a lot in... Oh, by the way, tell us about your year in Central and South America. Oh, yeah, hitchhike down in... It was 1974, and I was like 21, 22, and just uh, spent four months, uh, five months in Central Mexico, <clears throat> in Central America, and then seven months in South America, and just followed the um, the uh, Highway One all the way down, and uh, took you know hit uh, Belize and and the uh, the ruins, and you know met a lot of neat people. It was kind of part of the hippie trail, yeah. and. Um, yeah, it was fun. Uh, we, did you ever have long hair? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, when, when did you get rid of it? After you got married? Uh, yeah, it kind of okay. got shorter and shorter. Okay. And, <laughs> and finally, I, I got into the corporate climate and I was just... Uh, but you got, you're got 66 years old and you have way more hair than I do right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll be cutting it when I go. I'm going down to South America. Actually, I'm leaving um, in a week and heading down to South America for um, three months. And you do... You've also done... Now, just... That people don't have a wrong, or not the wrong impression, but you misconceive. You've also done cruises. I mean, cruise ships. It's not like you're always roughing out there in the mud of Madagascar and the winds of the Drakensbergs in South Africa. You've also done some nice cruise ships and gone to Europe. Yeah, my girlfriend and I are hot on the uh, Garrison Keeler in the last six years. He's a, 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 a 
he does a show called Prairie Home Companion on NPR. It's been discontinued uh, recently, but he's starting up again. But we would we, we did the uh, cruise around Italy and then Norway, and uh, we just did Norway and Scotland and Alaska. Uh, actually, that was yeah last year in the Baltic. Um, and he's planning. Hopefully, he's planning one for uh, Cuba. Uh, if you're kind of Midwestern and you um, and you like old time radio, which I love, uh, then what is old time radio? Give me like some songs or something. Well, it's kind of like the Grand Old Opry is now, and that's kind of what it was based on. But a lot of the like the 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 radio shows from the uh, 40s and 50s, uh, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby and mm-hmm. and Jack Benny. Uh, and that, you also like Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. We tell us about that. You're like a Shakespeare nuthead. Yeah, yeah. We go up. Uh, Patty and I, my my girlfriend, we go up to uh, Ashland every year for the last seven years and just see Shakespeare. And this last uh, a couple about a month ago, I was up at Stratford near Toronto, and just saw all the all the plays there. Now, what attracts you? To, I mean, it may be a stupid question, but what attracts you about Shakespeare? Um, great stories. It's a Big cultural reference, uh, wonderful uh, acting uh, that I've seen, um, and I just like to see him go different ways. Uh, you know how how the directors interpret it, and then how the actors portray it. Um, uh, just just to me, so interesting. How do you pick uh, your cruises that you've gone on? How, what advice would you give people? Like, look for this, look for that. The de- the type of deals you get. What's your logic when you when you think about? I want to go on a cruise. How do you? What's your what what advice would you give people listening to this? You know, we pretty much just do um, Garrison Keeler, but we do Holland America, and it's the smaller ones. You know, fourteen hundred people. Some of the larger ones have seven thousand princess, but we like the smaller ones, and it's it's really been just. You would you say that's minimum uh, medium? Because I mean, smaller, smaller, a thousand, fourteen hundred people sounds like a lot still. Yeah, but maybe it's not that a lot for a cruise ship. It, I think it's pretty small. Okay. Yeah, and and the entertainment there is just fabulous. With what's their, the demographics? Uh, usually about over 50. Okay. And it's mainly couples. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, single people go and, and yeah, my mom took, uh, my siblings and I and my girlfriend and. So you're, you, you specialize in this one particular, what's it called again? Uh, Garrison Keeler, uh, is a Prairie Home Companion and they've kind of discontinued it because of the Me Too things. So, what? Yeah. <laughs> Explain. I think he was a little forward with one of the stars. I don't know the story, but um, he... So, it, wait, you, so somebody who's listening to this can't take this cruise anymore? Uh, he's offered... They put out a survey to go to Cuba um, in 2020, so hopefully we'll be and able this to... is the only cruise you've ever gone on? This this kind of... This guy? kind, yeah, yeah. That's it. Well, I've never did, done like like a what is it Norwegian cruise or Princess cruise or any of this shit. I did an, uh, a Soviet uh, cruise back in 77 uh, from Perth to Singapore <laughs> on a, on a Russian cruise ship, but that's it. <laughs> wow. How was that? Oh, it was fabulous. Why? Yeah. yeah. What year was this? This is in 77. So during the Soviet time. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. The, so uh, you're a fucking commie. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I, you traitor. <laughs> I tried to hit on, on one of the, the stewardess and she was saying, wait, now what, what do you do for a living? I said, Oh, I'm just traveling. And she says, what, you're not working for the state and contributed to the, the fatherland? I said, no. <laughs> she says, oh, my God. So I didn't, I didn't make any headway with her. with her, no. <laughs> Darn. Uh-uh. <laughs> Commie. I, I, did play, I did play chess with the captain, and 
with 14 other and people. And he kicked your ass. He kicked my ass. Uh, of course he did. Totally. <laughs> Russians rule in chess. Oh, they're so good. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to a different subject, kind of away from travel, but more something that you know a lot about, which is longevity. Mm. So your mom died at what age? She uh, just died in May of yeah, 2018. Yeah. yeah, she died. Uh, she was 93. Wow. And, yeah. and your father died at? Uh, like 81. And you yeah. were a fat fuck yourself. I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like 70 pounds overweight. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. And when I saw the light, then I lost 70 pounds. <laughs> and and what made you see the light? Did you get like a, you know, your sim, your terminal or your nothing like that? Did you just wake up one day? How did you like see the light? What was the inflection point? Yeah, a couple of things. I got some chronic diseases. I had um, uh, precancerous um, of the esophagus, uh, Barrett syndrome. And I had sleep apnea, and I had a bunch. My knees were really were bothering me. And you were in your early fifties. Yeah, at this point, right? Yeah, just about fifty. Mm-hmm. And my son was kidding, um, you know, teenage years, and he was outpacing me, and I wanted to keep up with him and and do things with him, and um, yeah, and I knew I wanted to live a long time, and I wanted to be healthy doing that. Do you have a daughter too? Tell us about yeah, her yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, she's great. She's in. What's her name again? Uh, Corby. Okay. Corby K. And she uh, she graduated from the University of Oregon, and then went down to Hollywood. She wanted to become a movie star, or she actually wanted to write, and so she did that for a while, and she did a lot of modeling, and then she, uh, you know, it's hard to get in there. So then she became a Pilates instructor, and now she got a full-time position in Beverly Hills doing Pilates. That's very sweet. Okay, so then you looked at your son, couldn't keep up with him, and you're (laughs) like, you know what? If I keep going down this path, I might keel over by the age of 60. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So that was your wake-up call? It was, yeah. And so, and and how did you, what have you learned since your early 50s into now you're 66? So the last, let's say, 15 years or so, what have you learned? Because you've studied and read a fuck ton of books. <laughs> really. I mean, you're like Mr. Longevity guy. If you uh, want to know about centenarians, their habits, all this shit, blue zones, up the wazoo. I go to Sim. Sim, you're my man <laughs> when it comes to knowing about all this kind of research and studies. So try to sum it up in two words. No, I'm just kidding. Um, sum up kind of what are some of the key takeaways that you've had after all the research and studies you've done, and also what worked for you anecdotally for your own body. Yeah, I call it vitamin L, uh, lifestyle. And and the key thing for me, is, first one is nutrition. And I, I go plant-based, uh, pretty much vegan, and try and get organic and just try and eat really healthy. Lots of vegetables, um, some fruit. Um, no, I don't do bread or I try to avoid rice, a little, some potatoes. Uh, but but mainly plant based, and then I try to uh, exercise. Mainly, I'm doing a lot of hiking and and walking. Um, but I'll hit the gym and try and do um, a lot of weights. Uh, I haven't. What is, so what's a lot of weights? What does that mean? Not not too much. It's okay. probably about twenty five thirty pounds. Okay, no, but but as far as how many minutes of weightlifting do you do? It's probably about thirty minutes. That's pretty uh, good. Uh, yeah. How often? How many? Three times a week. Hopefully three times a week. Okay. I haven't much recently, okay. so I've, I've I've been traveling a lot. It's hard to do when you travel. Well, I mean, but what do you do when you travel? I mean, do you try to do push-ups, sit-ups, or yoga, or something, or yeah. you just don't do anything? Uh, probably probably more hiking. But but once. But in no, while, as far as weightlifting, you yeah. don't just you just cut it out. 
while you're on the road. Yeah, unless I can get into a gym, and I did that in Toronto. When because why don't you do push-ups or sit-ups or anything? You know, I do push-ups. Okay, okay. Yeah. So that, I mean, because to me, that's kind of like a substitute for weightlifting if you don't have weights. You could do dips. Yeah, exactly. And squats are really good. Yeah. Yeah. I like mean, that. especially as you're in your 60s, I mean, just doing a squat without any weight is challenging enough. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, so you uh, do do weight resistance, if, yeah. if you will, without yeah. the weights when you're traveling, right? Yeah. And you still do that, what, two, three days a week? Uh, yeah, that's ideal. Okay. I, I, You know, honestly, traveling, and I try to avoid sitting. I try to stand and walk as much as possible. But when you're on a bus for, you know, five days, <laughs> yeah. I, I took the Greyhound from, from Maine um, uh, at the end of AT over to Oregon, to Ashland, <laughs> five days on the Greyhound bus. What year was that? That was last year. <laughs> wow. Okay. So there was a Hard funny to... story that the, this this woman who told me she did the Greyhound, she says, you know, like, you guys are all looking for America's most wanted. They're all here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Toothless. and <laughs> America's <laughs> most wanted are right here on Greyhound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hitting the meth on the, on the bus. <laughs> so, but, but is that kind of, I mean, is there, I imagine some truth to that or did you feel super safe? I mean, how, how was it? I mean. I felt safe. You know, the people I thought were really were good, but they just didn't have much money. We came into one bus stop and the and the bus driver says, oh, the, the McDonald's is giving a discount. Or he came in and he says, oh, OK, well, there's McDonald's and, and uh, Wendy's. But uh, for you rich people, there's Popeye's. <laughs> and then he said, OK, now they're giving a discount for if we buy people some food. You know, how many people in here don't have enough money for lunch? And half the people stood up, and so the the bus driver came through and asked for donations to pay for them, wow. and so we everybody chipped in, and and they all got some Popeyes. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> now, I would just get this idea that it's not economical to take a bus across America if your goal is simply to save money, because when you add up the food costs and you know the actual, because I imagine the ticket costs at least two hundred bucks. It was a hundred and fifty. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's right. You ride senior citizen. Yeah. Oh, okay. that's true. Yeah. yeah so yeah, senior yeah. citizen, it makes you, you save a bunch because there's no such thing as senior citizens for airlines, right? Right. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. So the, for Amtrak and for buses, you get a senior discount. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The the key thing, the reason I took Greyhound is I was in Millinocket. Yeah. And and so to go from there to an airport and then fly to airport and then go over to Ashland where we were seeing plays, it's you know, this connections, it's just easier just to take Greyhound across and go right there. And it's an adventure. It's yeah, fun. I would say it's an adventure more than, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's not like you're still going to be, even if you're connecting and doing all this airline bullshit, you're still going to do it in like a day or two max. Yeah. And there's no way you're going to get across the nation on Greyhound yeah, in two yeah. days. You have to have time and I'm right. retired, so. Right. I no, time. I understand. No, I understand. But, but, but you, you would recommend Greyhound? I mean, you're, you're, you're good yeah, with it? Yeah, it was okay. I, I, would yeah. you do it again? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I've been doing Flixbus, and I did that a lot in Europe. Yeah, Flix is great. Yeah, yeah. F- it's F-L-I-X-B-U-S. Yeah, and if you do it ahead of time, it's like, it was like $4. It's from, really cheap. Yeah, San yeah. Diego to L.A. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's definitely but, a great deal. And they have Wi-Fi on board. Does Greyhound yeah. have Wi-Fi? Um, sometimes, sometimes, yeah, okay. yeah, they do. It's not very good, but yeah. and Amtrak sometimes they do. Yeah, you know, some, same thing. Some I discovered them. that too. I took. Uh, oh from, yeah, yeah. I took from Chicago all the way to Portland, and there was no. In fact, from Washington D.C. to Chicago, there was no Wi-Fi. From basically, 
their their way of thinking is that if they can't provide a really good stable service, mm. they're just not going to provide it at all. Right. That's right, their yeah. that's their philosophy. Yeah, so you if they did can, the Empire Builder. Yeah, yeah, I did the Empire nice. Building. Yeah, and so I don't really agree with that. But then again, I I spent five years in Africa, yeah. where intermediate inter intermittent internet was the norm. You know, uh-huh. I, I just got used to like internet on, internet off, internet on, Except internet off. Except for Madagascar, they what? had awesome internet. Oh, and yeah. it was so cheap. Yeah. And I'd bring my stick over That's and, right. and rejoice. His eyes would light up. <laughs> Wi Fi. Oh boy, and I'd flip that. Wi-Fi, as we said. Wi-Fi. Yeah, <laughs> that was so cool. <laughs> yeah, that was like yeah. You spent seventy dollars and you got like I don't know fifty gigabytes yeah, or something like it that. It was huge. Yeah, it was, was huge. Crazy. But you're right. Yeah, I mean the longevity. You know, you're talking about longevity. You know, my goal is to live to be 150, and uh, and uh, wait a second, Not, because you're 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 planning on some sort of because nobody's lived more than 122. Yeah, yeah right? I want to do that, but then I want to. Uh, uh, you want to do Ray Kurzweil? I, I want to get shot by a jealous husband. Ah. <laughs> that's my goal. Yes, that's <laughs> no, right. No, no, yeah, that's that's the joke. good way to die. <laughs> shot by the jealous husband. But the other thing I did is I bought a longevity annuity. No, but okay, but hold on, we'll get yeah, into yeah, that. But yeah, yeah. but but the. Are you? You're not. You're joking around when you say one. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. One fifty. Okay, no. But yeah, what is yeah. your? What would be an age that you would feel fair? Like, okay, I got my, I got my good life. You know, the key thing is health. You know, you could be live a crappy life at fifty or at twenty. You know, mm-hmm. and and the key thing is health. If you're not healthy, you're not happy. So, I so mean, wait. So you're saying as soon as you start getting unhealthy or any kind of chronic disease, like if all of a sudden you start getting some sort of cancer or any kind of thing like that, 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 that really debilitated you, diabetes, then all of a sudden you say, okay, fine, fuck it, I'm going to die now? Uh, I don't know. I think I'd probably want to keep going. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's what I'm saying. So when do you want to die, Sim? 150. 150. Okay, but 150 is not realistic. The longest woman was that French woman who lived to 122 or I guess my, the thing is as long as possible and okay. to be healthy and active as long as possible. That's okay. my goal. Okay, so yeah. being a vegetable is not going to do it for you. No. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. If you have your brain, like if you, Stephen Hawking, if you were like yeah. a Stephen Hawking? Uh, yeah, I'd keep going. Okay, so yeah. even if you're on a wheelchair, kind of like you can move in your left cheek? Yeah, I, I don't have a problem. I as mean, long as getting, he got a lot of girls, even well, even though he couldn't. Like, did he really? Do, awesome. Dude, you never I, saw his story? No. Uh-uh. <gasps> that guy like got the chicks. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's my goal, my mentor. <laughs> Getting you, you die by a jealous husband. There you go. Um, but yeah, Stephen Hawking. He he had a huh. he's a funny story. So the, he he got um, well in the movie. I, I you know I know his biography too. But in the movie, they pick his wife as a really beautiful woman. Mm. I don't know the actress's name. Uh, what's the name of the movie? It's uh, the Theory of Everything. I think it's called. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, and. Th- and then, but this is a true part of the story is that he eventually falls in love with, and I think even marries his nurse. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so there he was like married to this woman. He fathered three children with her. Wow. I think two or three. I mean, he was already in a wheelchair and, and stuff like that. He could barely move, but somehow that organ of his was still working wow. to produce those three children. And then the little bastard like gets 
on gets it on with his nurse and like <laughs> oh no yeah and he starts banging his nurse somehow and he's with her and then he eventually divorces his wife his wife who's been with him since his 20 since he was a phd student oh my gosh he dumps her to go with his nurse i mean it's amazing it's just like it really shows you how low us males can go. We are fucking dogs. We're like, here's this woman who's devoted to you, giving you three children, is just like faithful and just wonderful. And then all of a sudden, you know, you dump her for your nurse. Oh my gosh. Yeah. To bang your nurse. You know, it's just like amazing. And then eventually, by the way, he, 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 he lost, he, he broke up with his nurse as well. Um, uh-huh. There's some, speculation that his nurse was becoming abusive to him and that kind of stuff there's some but i don't know how true that is so mm. but the point is that and then after that i don't know what his his love life became but it's just uh, funny that another movie you recommended that i I'm, it's on my list on my keep so, oh which so one the, this the, one yeah the, his, I, I told you that already no you just did so oh, okay, 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 sure okay, okay yeah okay yeah that to your list yeah. um yeah so um, I don't, I, we got on to longevity. That's what yeah, we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, Sleep is really important. Um, social interaction. How much sleep is enough sleep? Uh, I think it depends on your own thing. I try to follow circadian. So, uh, you know, when the sun goes down, when I'm hiking, I go to sleep. And when I... Yeah, but what about in to... the winter? Like if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, especially if you're up in Seattle or something like that, you're going to be sleeping like 16 hours a day. Yeah, I try to sleep more. <laughs> I love sleep. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I, I do a lot of meditation. So if I'm not sleeping, then I meditate. And then what kind of meditation do you do? It's more like Vipassana. And I just focus on the on my breath. And then I do a body scan and, and focus on my body and just try to, uh, you know, if, if thoughts come up, then I just let them go. And, um, yeah, that's when do you it. do this? Uh, a lot morning? of times when I can't sleep, <laughs> Okay. okay. Then, then I'll do that. But and you that, don't have insomnia. No, I don't. I okay. don't. I usually I get up. Sometimes I get up at like two in the morning and I'm up for maybe an hour and then I, you know, I, I meditate and then I go back. Do you to meditate sleep. on you know, your, your, your prone? I mean, you're flat on your back or do you actually get up and start like uh, get into some sort of Hindu position? It varies. It varies. But a lot of times I'm just laying down. Okay. And meditating. Yeah. Because so I, I never that. really understood, like, what's the big fucking deal about people having to get in some funny pose? Why can't you just meditate lying down on your back? Is it something wrong with that? I think you feel a discomfort and you focus on that with your meditation. What do you mean you, discomfort? Lying down? Well, with your sitting cross-legged and sitting straight up. I mean, if you're if you're doing that, then you have discomfort and you focus on that. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, why does do so many meditation people say that you got to get into this funny lotus position or whatever. I think it's probably you do better meditation. I'm kind of lazy and kind of... Better meditation? I think so, yeah. But you're uncomfortable. Yeah. You're yeah. like you're focusing and your back starts to hurt or whatever. Your your knees start to hurt because they're all cross-legged. Well, I think becoming more self-aware and you, and you feel your body and then you feel that you focus on that pain and then the pain slowly disappears. I mean, it's like any pain. You know, if you focus on it, then it pretty pretty much goes. I mean, your body gets used to it. And so I think that's the same thing with sitting cross-legged and, you know, mm-hmm. you just, you adjust to it and you realize you can adjust to things. That, hmm. But I'm, I get, I'm, I get too lazy. So you just do it lying down flat? A lot, most of the time. Sometimes I'll sit up. And okay, so look, take me through this. So I'm sitting there lying down or any kind of position mm-hmm. and I just got to try to think about nothing. Um. Yeah, I usually I usually scan my body first 
And what does that mean? That means focus on, I mean, I start with my toes and I work my way up. Um, you know, and usually it goes to my gut because that's where I feel my emotions. What do you mean it goes to your gut? What I mean, goes? When, I, when I scan, I go, okay, what, how am I feeling? You know, what's, what are my, my, my feelings, you know? And a lot of times it'll be in, in the, in my, you know, in my gut and I'll go, okay, where's this coming from? Um, but I, you know, actually I don't, I shouldn't be thinking that if I think that and I go, okay, I'm thinking, I don't want to think. So I just focus on that sensation and, and pretty much that goes. And then something else may come up where, you know, my, I'll feel something in my body. So it's mainly focusing on becoming more self-aware of my of my reactions or my feelings in myself. Mm. I'm not very um, progressed, as you probably tell in my meditations, but but that's pretty much it's it's focusing on my breathing and then sensations in my body. Well, a lot of people are big into meditation. I mean, mm. a lot of performers. Yeah, I've listened. You listen to Tim Ferriss' podcast too. I mean, he's observed mm. that a lot of peak performers are big onto meditation. Mm-hmm. I just never gotten into it myself. Although he does say something like peak performers do meditation like things. In other words, for example, Tony Robbins does not meditate, mm. but he does have some sort of mantra. He has a ritual that he goes through a mental ritual to get himself all pumped up and motivated. He takes his cold shower. He does these kind of pumping uh, exercises and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, that's, um, I think hiking is a meditation. Yeah. And it, yeah. And, and it's kind of the mindful meditation where you're you're really aware your brain's not, you know, going off to any place. You're just you're focused on the woods and the the trail and and your sensations and, and It's harder to do it nowadays when people carry I mean, I love podcasts. I yeah. like to listen to podcasts all the time. But I remember when I did my through hikes, all my through hikes, and t- a little bit on the Continental Divide Trail, I had sometimes audio books with yeah. me. But for the most part, I didn't have anything because I didn't have the technology back then. This was 2007 when I did my last big through hike. And there's some pity to that, you know, in some ways that to go there without any kind of audio device and you just have to listen to the fucking birds. Yeah, yeah. The first day or so, I I usually do it without any audio or, or anything. But then after a couple of days, then it's like, okay, <laughs> been there, done that. This is I want to feed my mind. <laughs> yeah, feed my mind. So then I'll listen to Audible or do, right. or, or right. Um, podcasts. What tell us about blue zones? Uh, yeah, there's different zones that I guess a guy, a reporter for National Geographic, went and investigated uh, seven different zones in the in the world where people live longer. <clears throat> And have uh, better, um, uh, uh, better lifestyles, and, and yeah, live longer and are healthier. And I think Loma Linda and Okinawa and Sardinia and uh, Costa Rica. There's certain places, and so you know the the uptake that I got, and and a lot of studies show this, although it's not definitive and it's not proof. But generally, a plant based, um, I think Mediterranean diet. Uh, exercise, social interaction, uh, being in a society where people respect older people, you know, and there's a lot of support. People live longer. So it kind of indicates it's not really that much genetics. Some people say, you know, it's 30%, 20% genetics and the rest is environmental as far as how long you'll live. Is that what you believe? Uh, I think so. Uh, that, that, yeah. You don't think it's 50-50? No, okay. no, I, I think it's more, yeah, 20-30. But who who knows? And it's probably different for different people. 
So uh, I'm just trying to do everything I can do, you know, uh, environmentally to, right. to extend it. It's, it's probability. I could die tomorrow, but at least my probabilities are higher if I try to eat, live a healthy lifestyle. Okay, and you have you eat like chia seeds and this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. When I hike, I pretty much just do nuts and seeds and chia, uh, goji berries, chia seeds, and cacao nibs and seaweed or dulse. No cook food. No cook food. I don't carry a stove. What do you think of the raw diet? Uh, I I think studies have shown that a lot of cooking for um, uh, you know things like broccoli, it's it's healthier if you eat. It cooked, so. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. So There's and, and plus broccoli makes you fart if you eat it raw. <laughs> That's right. Helps you along the trail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so I, no, I'm not a big. I mean, you're not a raw foodist. No, no, no. But you, but you eat a lot of raw food when you're hiking. I mean, yeah. at least as far as nuts and shit like that. Obviously, yeah. you don't cook nuts, but. Yeah, yeah. I usually I try and get sprouted seeds and sprouted nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and a, and a good mixture. And so, yeah, you, well, you saw me when we did the um, Drakensberg. Uh, Drakensberg. We I just had a big bag of nuts and seeds, and it lasted the whole time. I don't eat that much, at least to begin with. So yeah, I was actually noticing that that you really don't have a huge calorie intake f- compared to me. I mean, I eat like twice as much food as you do. I think. Yeah, probably. And you're bigger and taller than me. I mean, you're like yeah. how much? You're six foot. Uh, five twelve. Okay. <laughs> five twelve. <laughs> but I've got I've got a lot of fat, so that I get to burn that off. You're right. Yeah. No, but you don't have a lot of fat. How much do you weigh? Uh, I think it's one sixty five. Yeah. So sure. somebody who's six foot tall, I mean, one sixty five yeah, is pretty reasonable. Yeah, Your BMI bad. sounds like it's probably twenty four. Uh, yeah, twenty two. Yeah, yeah. twenty two. Well, I was yeah. two thirty before. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's crazy. And and uh, so. As far as, you know, so your advice as far as longevity, it's pretty much the standard thing that we know, everybody knows, that, you know, eat more vegetables. Some people believe that eating fruit is bad because of fructose or whatever sugar that's in fruit. Do you believe that or how do you, what's your assessment on that score? I think the nice thing about fruit is it includes fiber. And if you just eat pure sugar, it sends your insulin levels up and your body reacts to that but if you eat the fruit you know the whole fruit then that includes fiber and that that levels things off so i i think that sugar is is and it's got so many vitamins and minerals i mean it's you know there's a good argument not to eat too much fruit but um i i usually i like fruit <laughs> and, and i think it's overall it's healthy especially with if you eat the whole fruit if you i don't drink juice so you know what do you drink do you drink tea uh yeah, I might have chamomile tea, but I don't green tea. Uh, I usually, green tea is supposed to be good for you. I heard. Yeah, I don't usually do caffeine, but if I have to, I'll do green tea. Did you ever do coffee? Like when you're an unhealthy guy? Yeah, yeah, it was like five or six cups a day. Wow. So how did how was that hard getting over that? Because that's a lot. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, I got a headache, and then I, how long did you have a headache for? It was maybe a week. Okay, not yeah. that bad. Yeah, no, it was it was good. You just got to tough it out. Yeah, and it makes it nice when you go backpacking. You don't have to have, yeah. cook up a cup of hot. Yeah, forget yeah. it. Yeah, and and it doesn't send you up, and and you you know you have to have more coffee, and you know to keep keep that uh, caffeine high going. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I've always avoided caffeine yeah. all my life. I've avoided alcohol, but I feel bad about avoiding alcohol because I know that red wine 
is supposed to be good for you. And you have this resveratrol and shit like that. What do you think about that? Well, they just did a recent study. And um, I mean, you can get the same resveratrol in grape juice. And they were saying that... But grape juice has sugar, dude. Yeah, but you have the skin. So that that adds the fiber. (laughs) I'm sorry. You're right. Grape juice, you're right, is just sugar. Yeah, that's not good. So what? So you're saying raw grape is is good for resveratrol? Yeah, yeah. Raw grapes. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's better. Um, the other thing not grape juice yeah no no okay. not grape okay. juice uh, there was a recent study that showed that um, uh, alcohol or you know a wine in, uh, in regards is good for your heart but it's bad for cancer so the latest recommendation is not to <laughs> not to drink alcohol I'm sure a little bit you know in moderation probably isn't going to kill you but overall it's more of a, a health issue than, mm. uh, than a benefit Mm. you know, with uh, cancer due to uh, alcohol. That was just a recent study. Right. And so you're a big believer that these kind of healthy habits can allow you to avoid these chronic diseases. Yes. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that doesn't guarantee. Exactly. I mean, you still can get cancer at the age of 95. Yeah. Yeah. It's a spec. It's a spectrum. And all you're doing is increasing your chances or decreasing your chances. You'll get a chronic disease. Um, but, but nothing's a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, is there any good way of dying? I mean, your, your friends are already dying on you right now, right? I mean, right. you have friends who've had, who've died on you, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and, and your mother just died. Yeah. What did she die of? Uh, she had three strokes and a heart attack and, you know. Did each stroke kind of like knock her down a pedestal? Yeah. The last ones, um, uh, she was pretty much comatose. Uh, you know, she could like a vegetable kind of thing. Uh, pretty much, we could. She could squeeze our hand. And she was conscious. She was conscious. She could respond. You know, we'd we'd I'd rub her feet or rub her hair, and she would respond. You know, do you like this? Oh yeah, she'd squeeze our hand. Um, so kind of like Stephen Hawking. Yeah, in that sense. Yeah, Stephen Hawking was kind of conscious. Yeah. But yeah. was but she hadn't gone senile. She she kept her memory. Well, it's hard to tell because she yeah, couldn't we we it. couldn't tell. Uh, yeah. But she she didn't look like she was in pain, and um, she, we had home hospice. And I have four siblings, and we all came together. Just so admirable, and we were with her. She um, you know they withheld. She couldn't get a feeding tube in her stomach, and they didn't want to do. Uh, Why not? Uh, it was closed. Her. Her, she didn't have a feeding reflex. Yeah, yeah, something with her esophagus. They couldn't go through there, so they're gonna thinking of doing a feeding tube from the outside, but it's kind of like you What's know, it's point? one of those hard decisions where you go, oh, sh-, you know, we're. Did we're, she have any kind of paperwork saying turn off the, the yeah, thing? She yeah, had, she, she had, had done do that? not resuscitate. She did have that. Yeah, she did. So have she had the that. presence of mind of doing. Yeah, that. a lot of people don't have that. No, and we had, do you have that? Uh, no. You fucking. <laughs> I know. I know. You I fucking hypocrite. <laughs> I need to do that. Yeah, she was a good, good. No, because seriously, Sim, what happens if you get into a car accident? Or you just have a fucking stroke yeah. out of nowhere and all of a sudden you become a fucking vegetable. And then your Tim, your son is looking at you and dad, what do I do? I don't know. And you're like, you, as long you can't as even my, express yourself. As long as I'm alive and my pension and, and annuity is coming in, then then he's he should be happy. We're making more money and I have good in, health insurance. So. so you'll just wait for the singularity. That's right. <laughs> Into the black hole. <laughs> um, 
No, but the singularity is this whole idea that human beings will transcend biology and go transhuman, and and, and you just have to live long enough for technology to be able to download your brain, and then you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. So would you like to live a billion years? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about two billion? Yeah. Ten billion? Yeah. (laughs) Hundred billion. Kurtzweil. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, I agree with you. I think it'd be interesting to live a hundred billion years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some people say, 100 billion years, that's so long. And then these fucking people are trying so hard to get into heaven where they're supposedly going to live a hun- a th- yeah. uh, forever. But they don't want to live 100 billion years. I'm like, wait a second, you're some good Christian who wants to live forever. And you don't want to live 100 billion years? You know 100 billion years is nothing compared to forever. That's right. <laughs> so you better get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. Infinity is a long time, especially or yeah, for especially as you get towards the end. <laughs> exactly. So speaking about the end and and the uh, and this annuities that you kind of alluded to. Yeah. You're not a salesman. Neither yeah. of us have any kind of stake in annuities. Yeah. But tell us. But you have this kind of an interesting take on annuities that I think is fascinating and people should listen up to that. So go ahead and share a little bit about your thought process and how old were you when you got into annuities and what did you do and what was your logic? Yeah, I was probably about 55 after my divorce and I had some money to invest and you know, you could How put, much money approximately? Uh, it's a hundred, just 150,000. Okay. And so I wanted to put it into, you know, you're thinking, well, I could put it in the stock market, you know, or I could buy bonds or I could buy treasuries. And the thing I wanted to do is to have money coming in for the rest of my life you know, no matter how long I lived to make sure it, it was, you know, that it would last. And, you know, Social Security is great because that lasts forever. You know, I mean, until you die. And my pension lasts until I die, although it didn't doesn't increase for inflation. So I wanted kind of the same thing without the volatility of stocks and bonds. And so I got a longevity annuity. And Jane Austen in Sense and Sensibility she says people with a longevity annuity with an annuity, they last a long time. <laughs> so that's so I invested in that. It's with New York Life, you know, I, uh, Mutual. And um, what's the New name York, of the company? New, New York, York Mutual? Mutual. Yeah, it's okay. one of the big ones. And I, and I researched a bunch of them and looked at the ones that would last a long time. And so invested with them. And it, it, it gives, uh, I, I start taking it when I'm 70. And then I get, um, and it increases by 3% a year and forever. So if I hit singularity, <laughs> I'm going to kick butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll put New York Life out of business or whatever they're called. Not, not New York Life, New York. In New York Mutual, I New think. York Mutual. Usually. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, 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 so hold the on. Danger, I mean, the good thing is that it keeps coming and you get a good, it's like 6%, um, you know, guaranteed. Um, and when interest rates were like 3%, and if the stock market's crashing when you need the money, then that's a good thing. Okay, so 6%, it increases every year. Uh, 6% return. Right. Uh, uh, on my investment, but my the amount I get each year after 70 will increase by 3% a year. Okay, got it. Okay, yeah, got yeah. it. Okay, so... So hopefully that covers inflation. Right. Now... So, so if you had a hyperinflation, or not hyper, but even anything above 3%, then you're going to start to kind of struggle a little bit in theory. Exactly. That's the danger. And the other dangers, if New York Mutual goes out of business, right? then then that's, that, those are the dangers. But the nice thing is you don't have to worry about the stock market crashing or, um, yeah. So basically, okay, so you took about 100 grand. 150. Yeah. 150, and you gave it to New York Life. Yeah. 
and then they've been sitting on that 150 or investing it presumably into treasuries or whatever. Yeah. And that's been appreciating, but you haven't seen a dime of that money so yeah. far. Yeah. And when you're 70, yeah, four more years. Four more years, you're going to get a check every month? Yeah. Yeah. Ab- e- yeah, it's about um I think it's about fifth it's it's about uh 15,000 a year. Okay. So it's about tw- was that 1200? Okay, so fifth uh 1300 a month. Okay, 1300 a month yeah. or so. Okay, so that's not I mean, that's fine. That's plenty if you want to live in Costa Rica. Well, oh, I mean not plenty, but it's 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 good enough. But it's tough to live in let's say San Francisco. Right, right, right. But with the, my pension and with my right. social security and I'm waiting until I'm 70 to get social security. Right. So you'll get a double whammy, you'll get another 1000 bucks maybe or something like that. Uh it's about it should be about 50,000 a year or well 40 right now it's 43,000 if okay. I wait till till end That's assuming the apocalypse doesn't come. Yeah. You know, the the I mean all you baby boomers are going to be retiring and you're going to fuck up the whole system well, and you're going to drain true. the money and so you're and probably the, only going to get $1000 if you're lucky. Yeah, and the millennials will want to screw the boomers for <laughs> probably for good reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Um so uh, but here's a what I found the most interesting. Annuities mm. fine, but what mm. I thought was most interesting in your philosophy mm. is that you're contrasting it with life insurance. Tell us uh, about the, how life insurance works versus how an annuity works and how people perceive you and value your life, Sim. Yeah, yeah. Life insurance is betting you're going to die, and the annuity is betting you're going to live. It's yeah. not betting. It's more like rewarding you for li- dying and rewarding you for living. Yeah, it's it's betting. Okay, fine. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay. Yeah, and, and my kids are pretty much taken care of. Um, you know, that's, that's where you'd get life insurance if you need, you know, to, if they were like 12 years old, or, yeah, or yeah, yeah. Seven years old. Or you wanted to leave them a big, big hunk of cash. And, and what I'd like to do is to be able to contribute to them they, right now, they don't seem to need it, but you never know, they may need it later. So I want to contribute while I'm alive and also to worthy causes like some people's Patreon, <laughs> which is a good, good, good thing. Patreon, so, yes, you are one of my earliest Patreons. <laughs> Not to mention, you were the biggest Kickstarter um, backer I had. Period. When I ran my Kickstarter a couple of years ago, so Woo-hoo. I really appreciate that. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh my pleasure. Um, so, yeah, no, you can give to causes. You can give to Wikipedia. Yeah, for yeah. example, what are your favorite causes? That you kind of like support? Is it more like uh, environmental or? Yeah, I'm, I'm giving to the Continental uh, Trail uh, Coalition and I was giving to PCTA. And then my sister is a missionary in Taiwan, so I contribute to her church. But wait a second, you also went to Washington, D.C. to volunteer to yeah. convert, to make us all vegan. Yeah, I was going to get involved with the vegan activist thing. And uh, so I went to a number of, co- I was living there for like three months. And, um, and, and I, I just got, I, I ended up going and seeing the, the museums and the monuments and I went to a few conferences and stuff, but I figured, I realized I was, um, uh, not ready to commit myself to the cause quite yet. Why not? Uh, just because if you're like doing the mental calculation, like, okay, either a, I can be outside backpacking and going on a bicycle or going on a cruise. Or B, I can sit in an office in Washington D.C. air conditioned with and 
trying to convince these fucking meat eaters to eat more plants. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty close. <laughs> yeah, and I'm healthy right now, and and I'm I can hike, you know, because I can, and I can bike, and I can, you know, travel, and you know, it may not be that case all the time. So maybe if I get incapacitated, then I can do more of a desk job later on. But right. yeah, right now I just don't feel I feel committed to traveling and to hiking. And I don't just don't feel that committed right now to the cause. But, you know, if Trump keeps keeps doing the things he's doing and, um, you know, if and if there's an opportunity for the vegan or for the backpacking, then I'd probably do that. Do you think that we're going to become more of a vegan society? I think we have to. I think with global warming, I think so much of the carbon dioxide is caused by uh, animal raising animals and husbandry and we can be so much more efficient by eating uh, plant-based foods and even the clean meats now uh, methane I think contributes I believe 17 or 19 times more uh, greenhouse gases and has per pound than or per ton compared to carbon dioxide mm-hmm. Uh and so the car exhaust is not nearly as potent ton for ton compared to methane, which comes out of the asses and of these and cows and yeah. belching and all that stuff yeah. that comes out of the cow. So, I mean, is there a way that we can kind of change that through maybe some fake meat? Yeah, yeah. That clean meats is, is I think, is going to be huge, especially... If, I mean, I probably wouldn't eat it. I'd probably eat more plant-based. But they're, why they're, not? What's wrong with uh, clean meat? Or just because it's still you have the health issues? If there's a health, I mean, if they really do it right, they could make it really healthy. And uh, you but know, that's the, hard. But then it probably wouldn't taste like real meat. I don't know. I oh, don't come know. on! If you're to make it taste like real meat, it's got to have all the <laughs> appropriate <laughs> and, saturated fat and levels, antibiotics, of, and, and yeah, the hormone I love that it. shit. No, I'm just kidding. But the, <laughs> but 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 the point is, is that. You have these um, clean meat. Just explain that. It's basically lab-grown meat. Yeah, lab, and it's just the, it's the muscle and the muscle cells, and they grow. The, you but know, you got to add fat to it. You've got to add like, a. You have to add a skeleton around it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's not a it's not a trivial process. We're no, not there yet. No, no. But there's a ton of companies that are working on it because it's it's huge. You know, even the big food processors. You know, Hormel and. And some of the other uh, foster farms, you know, they're 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 a protein um, uh, a provider, and so whether they grow it, actually, if they you know grow it on the farm uh, versus growing it in the lab, you know, they'd much rather grow it in the lab than they don't have to deal with all the the byproducts and all the issues of you know all all the waste that they you know feathers and and bones and stuff that they do with uh, with live animals, you know. Plus, I mean, from my perspective it's the ethics that can be an issue too you know all the suffering we have with factory farms so hopefully they they get a process down so that they can grow it in the lab that tastes good you know they can put the fat on there and also they have the right chemicals in there that they so they can make it really healthy you know a lot of omega-3s and and uh you know and and make it really healthy but there's a lot of companies especially the mainstream companies that are investing a ton of bucks in it because it, it could be a big game changer. So my ma- my my buddies in Monsanto are doing something. They are. Oh yeah. Sweet. They, if they see money, they'll they'll yeah. do it. And uh, yeah. Um. So. so, clean meat is a potential future, but and you think also that we're gonna have to be we'll have to go 
to veganism more and more. What about crickets and just general insects? <laughs> I love them. I mean, I ate, I got into insect eating and crickets in Africa because it's such a cheap source of protein mm. and it's really crunchy and tasty. I mean, especially the, the way the Africans, especially those in Niger, in Nigeria uh, and Chad, they spice it so well. They put mm. the right kind of spices on top of them. So it's kind of like hot and spicy, a little salty. It's like better than a potato chip. As and good as popcorn? Better than popcorn. popcorn. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, but it's got that kind it. of, it's, it's got this really kind of crunchy, you know, when you eating the exoskeleton. It sounds disgusting at first glance, but if you close your eyes and just put the fucking thing in your mouth, you're actually going to be impressed. I mean, yeah. and, and then you're getting a lot of protein and it's yeah. so much cheaper uh -huh. than raising a fucking chicken or a, a goat or anything like that. It's so much less impactful on the environment. You can grow like hordes of insects and, and, and crickets at a fraction of the water and a fraction of the, the land. And it could really transform. And yet you're getting all the protein you want. It's animal protein for those who care about that mm. shit. But unfortunately, I don't see a, a big movement for that just yet. Mm. Well, I, I'm, not, I'm not super strict as a vegan, and I call it vegan-ish. But, um, but I'm happy to make uh, exceptions for cultural exceptions right, right. So, so so if you ever go so to niger I, yeah so i will be eating the crickets yes <laughs> yeah, yeah. no it, it is it is i i hope more people get into it because yeah, it yeah. will i mean i'm not big on killing animals myself i i i'm kind of like you not as strict but I, yeah. I i try to practice veganism as much as yeah. i can i don't buy any dairy products i don't buy eggs i don't i never buy meat mm. uh, rarely i'll buy fish sometimes mm. i'll buy fish but it's rare but because I travel so much uh, and I go to people's houses, that kind of stuff, and I get invited to restaurants or meals and all that shit, in the end, I end up consuming quite a bit of animal protein. Yeah. Um, but it's but it's not where I spend my money usually. When I go to a restaurant, I order the vegetarian stuff. But when I'm in travel mode, that's when, like, I feel silly, like, going to japan and not having sushi yeah. you don't have to have sushi every meal but just try it once yeah exactly you know yeah yeah and when i feel pro sometimes i feel protein deficient or or uh even vitamin d you know what well, you mean animal protein deficient or just general protein uh, just general protein you know when you travel a lot of times mm -hmm. you can't get that protein you need so I'll, occasionally i'll get sardines like when we're in madagascar yeah. <laughs> and uh and uh, you know a lot of breakfast places they may not have oatmeal so i'll have uh omelet you know veggie omelet or something like that with some eggs right so right, so right. i do make exceptions I'm, I'm not i used to uh be a vegan just for the health the environment and ethics but now sometimes i do it just to annoy people <laughs> <laughs> so what's 2019 and 2020 looking like for sim blanchard <laughs> Well, I'll be going down to Brazil for three months, and then I'll be continue. Hopefully, finish the. Why Brazil? Um, I have relatives. I have a great great grandfather who came to North Dakota from Germany, and his brother went down to Brazil, southern Brazil. There's a lot of German Did colonies. Did he work for the Führer? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, some of my best he friends. Is German, yeah, sehr gut, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and so I'm I'm uh, looking up I as many. <laughs> I'm not they escaping be, the Nazi regime, no. They may be listening. <laughs> so I found some of my German relatives, the Ceresics, in uh, Germany and then in southern Brazil, So I'll be, and, and Argentina and Paraguay, Uruguay. So I'll be meeting 
try and you know meet them up but then also just enjoying the area and then uh, have you been to brazil uh just to the border to iguazu okay yeah. so i hadn't been there and and uh, i've always wanted to do that and i knew i had relatives iguazu is the big waterfall yes yeah and so on the border of paraguay uh, uh, argentina no and argentina and yeah. brazil it's all right three up, all three yeah okay. they, they all kind of border them yeah so i'll go down there and then we're uh, hopefully finish finish up the continental divide trail and then the Great Divide Trail that goes up into Canada, up to Banff and Jasper. And maybe Burning Man for the first time in your and life? And Burning Man. Yeah, hopefully we meet up for Burning Man. Uh, That'd be great. And then my girlfriend and I will be doing the Chesapeake um, uh, rent-a-van and go around uh, the New England and Chesapeake. Where do you rent the van? Uh, probably around Washington, D.C. What, what service do you use? Uh, website or something? Or just yeah, you don't have a preference? Probably RV Share. I'll just find something on the internet. Or probably, uh, you mentioned a couple of them that, that I'll be... Mm. What were they? Uh, the ones I mentioned, there's several ride-sharing things. So there's um, Turo, T-U-R-O. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is getaround.com. Those are kind of competing services where you can just rent any kind of vehicle from a private citizen and then use it either for a day or a week. Uh, minimum is a day, and then th- they kind of the same model that the, both of those companies have. And then for those who want like a more consistent rideshare, uh, and a you should consider Maven.com. They only do select metropolitan seri- cities in the United States. And the other one besides Maven.com is called uh, Zipcar. I think uh, it's it's called Zipcar. It's been around for much longer than Maven. But the cool thing about those is I believe both of them work on a kind of a subscription model. You pay a certain fixed rate and then you pay every time you use the car and you can rent it by the hour also. And they have a parking lot where all their cars are. And I know with Maven, for example, they have a, a kind of a wide selection. They're not all sedans. So you can have, let's say, the pickup truck. You can have the van. You can have the uh, teeny tiny little car, you know, like the Mini Cooper kind of thing. And you can have a little sports car. So they have a kind of a a wide spectrum of cars to pick. That's what Maven, I think, uh, does. I, Zipcar, I don't know if they have that wide uh, thing. And there's also another company, a friend of mine does, I, maybe I should interview him one day, it's Upshift. Yeah. But, uh, but I don't know what Upshift really does. I, I'm embarrassed because <laughs> I know him, he's a friend of mine, but he, uh, I'm not. They, his model has kind of evolved. But anyway, there's many ways to kind of have cars now and not own the car and not watch your car depreciate. Yeah, I, I got rid of my car about eight years ago, and I haven't had one. And so I usually use uh, public transportation or Uber or... Um, Lyft. Lyft, yeah. Or, or um, yeah, trains, planes. <laughs> so I, I've kind of gotten rid of that. And I think when autonomous vehicles come out, that, that I'm, I'm not sure. I think people probably go to a sharing. You know, why own it? And, I mean, some people will, but... Yeah, it's a utility in the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. just to get A to B, unless... Yeah. Well, let's hope it goes that way. Although I have a debates about whether it's going to create more congestion or less congestion. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like I don't know what the right answer is because on the one hand, you have all these autonomous vehicles. Like what's to stop you from, let's say, uh, like one example is you want to you don't want to pay for parking. Mm-hmm. So you just tell the autonomous car to just drive around the block for like an hour. Oh, yeah. The you know, that. just so that you don't because it's cheaper. Or just tell him to like drive someplace where he doesn't need to pay for parking and then come back and pick you up You instead of just paying for... Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, so so theoretically, some people could... Um, and because, let's say, you know you don't have to drive because you're in an autonomous car, hmm. 
you might then live even farther away. You could live a two-hour drive away, and because you don't have, it's like, oh, I just sit in my car all day long. I could sleep. Hell, fuck it. You could just say three hours or four hours. You could just get up at three o'clock in the morning, jump in the car, pull back, and just go to sleep. Yeah. And, and wake up at 7 a.m. The car is still driving for you. And so you can live like totally far away. So you're in the end consuming much more fuel, much more gas. There's, there's more cars on the road because of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a danger. I'm, I'm hoping they connect, you know, the different autonomous vehicles link up and they hopefully hop onto the railroad tracks and the trolley lines. You know, usually you look at the railroad tracks and a, a train may come once or twice a day. But if 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 you can use those and then also and and connect up and then also collapse and be stored. And if we're all tied into the computer, you know, if they're they're very well tied in computer wise then hopefully you don't need bumpers or um you know they don't have to be big because ideally they wouldn't get in an accident <laughs> if we can get those foolproof but right i don't know we'll we'll, we'll see what what's come but a lot of companies are, are working on it so yeah hopefully we can get something coordinated but you're right there's a danger it could be more congested yeah i mean it's definitely uh especially if the cost goes down again if one of the cost goes down Util utilization goes up, mm. right? I mean, yeah. gas gets cheaper, people drive more. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's just simple like that. So if all of a sudden, you know, autonomous cars become super cheap, then hey, people were going to say, oh, okay, I'll use the car for all sorts of things. Yeah. Of course, if we get the, the, the battery, you know, if it's all electric and you have the really efficient power plants um, that are efficient and, and don't use a lot of, uh, create a lot of smog, and then that might. Uh, uh, make that better. And do you think that at some point you might get tired of traveling? I mean, you so you had kind of like to sum up your life, Sim. You you had your your wild twenties, pretty classic story in some ways. Mm -hmm. You know, twenties you kind of vagabond, mm -hmm. and then you in your thirties and forties and fifties even you you did the responsible thing. You had a job, you had a wife, you had a children, and then entering your sixties, then all of a sudden you became the irresponsible teenager again. Yeah, and I was glad that I was irresponsible in my 20s, you know, traveling a lot, because then I realized there was other things besides, you know, sitting in front of the TV or, or, or a career or work. And so I'd encourage young people to go out and be adventurous, because now I'm at this age and I'm kind of going, oh, there's so much of the world I want to see and experience. And so I, th I thought that was a, a overall good thing that I that I did. But yeah, I'll pr I'll probably get tired of it at some time and and switch to something else. And I kind of hoped then to be able to do volunteer work or get involved politically or, you know, get do things that are more uh, positive uh, socially. So what does that mean? Like for you politically getting involved politically, what are you going to what cause would you champion if you can kind of go out there and promote a particular cause what the people who are listening to this and you want to convince them of something what are you going to convince them of well i'd i'd go for veganism yeah. you know shoot for that why is that important uh i think for the future of the planet i don't think we can you know a lot of people are being lifted out of poverty and they want to eat more meat and they're you know we're cutting down more forests and and having more animals and you know, do or doing fi factory farms, and it's causing a lot of suffering and and the climate change. I mean, it, it's we can't sustain that, and we need to do it sustainably and and pull more people out of poverty. And I think veganism is 
is a great way to go, you know, um, and hopefully we can do it in a way that people will really want to do it. You know, it's cheaper, it tastes better, it's better for you, you know, you live longer. So hopefully we get to that point and it's part of our culture. Um, the other thing is the backpacking, you know, the uh, Pacific Crest Trail uh, Association and the Continental Divide Trail uh, Coalition and, uh, you know, to get more backpacking trails uh, going. Yeah, I think those are the two main ones. You don't think that, uh, I mean, a lot of people make it about global warming just to play devil's advocate about it. I mean, one thing that frustrates me about the whole climate change people who really focus a lot about it, that they they always focus on the negative. Mm. And that's my irritant, that irritation that I have with the whole movement. I'm not denying it. I'm not a climate denier, climate change denier. I, I recognize that A, it's happening, and B, humans are a very important factor and perhaps the main factor as well behind it. My point is that it's not all fucking bad news. In other words, there are some winners and losers, but we always just focus on the losers. And that is kind of the irritating. Like, for example, people might complain about, oh my God, the glaciers are disappearing and all this other stuff. Okay, but then, you know, now there's new trails. You can see the trail. You can see what's behind that glacier. You can actually see there's the rock that was there. By the way, there's most of the mountains that we're hiking today, the PCT, was under glaciers before. Yeah. Are we crying about that? I mean, yeah. would you like those glaciers to be back? Because, by the way, the whole fucking PCT would be under glacier. Yeah. Everything. So would the AT. Everything would be under, buried under a mile worth of glacier. And yet it's not. And we appreciate, we love it the way it is. Mm-hmm. So Alaska, just imagine, all the glaciers are 100% gone. Would Alaska be a shithole? No. Yeah. It would just be like the PCT. <laughs> it would yeah. be like the John Muir Trail, which is pretty fucking pretty. So... I guess I'm I'm not trying to say, okay, therefore, let's just not do anything for climate change. Let's not, you know, let's not give a shit about this. But can we at least sometimes stop and think and say, okay, it's not 100% bad news? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, there's the, in the Northern Hemisphere up around the Arctic, it's it's going to probably be a lot better, but... I don't know. I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying it's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just different. It's just going to be like the tundra... Yes, it will go away. The permafrost, you know, I remember somebody saying, oh, my God, the permafrost is going to disappear. And so that's, you know, or, you know, the buildings are going to collapse. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, you'll be able to fucking grow a potato now. I mean, yeah. now you can't even grow potatoes because the permafrost is like not allowing you to grow any agriculture. Maybe you can grow something there and you won't have to import food from some so far away or kill all your whales or whatever you're doing up there to eat food or kill your caribou or something like that. There's something that's going to benefit that. But, but they're like, oh my God, the, the permafrost is going, well, aren't you happy that now instead of negative 60 degrees, it's only negative 30? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I agree. It's not all, all negative, but I think overall the negative overwhelms the positive, you know, the, the, the water rising. Um, you because know. I think it's because we don't live where it's fucking cold. Right. right. <laughs> In other words, that's why it's that's why the negative. I agree with you. The negative does override the positive yeah, because yeah. we've all planted ourselves in places that are nice to live in right now at the current temperatures that we have. Nobody lives in fucking Antarctica because it's fucking cold in Antarctica. Nobody lives in Russia or Siberia or Canada, northern Canada, because it's fucking cold. Alaska. The Brooks Range. Who the fuck wants to live up there? It's fucking cold. But if all of a sudden the temperatures, if all the ice melts off the the entire planet, 
it's going to be pretty sweet. And then 43 million years ago, approximately during the, the what's it called? The thermal maximum of mm. the, of the earth mm. where the average temperature was around 25 degrees Celsius. Right now it's 15 degrees Celsius. So it was, mm. there was no permanent ice anywhere on the planet 43 million years ago. Mm. There were 300, sorry, 30 meter high trees in Antarctica. Mm. It, there was tropical fruit growing. I mean, they had mangoes up in Alaska and Canada at that same latitude, should I say. It's just different. In other words, it's just different. I just, I, it would be a net negative, but no other species besides human beings can adjust as fast as we do and as easily as we could to the climate change. Again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm promoting. Right, right, exactly. I'm just trying yeah. to say like, when we're in the deep depression and feeling terrible about the earth going to sh to hell in a handbasket to stop and slow down and say, wait, 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 you know, a, we're going to adjust and B it's not all bad news. And you know, more, you know, Canada was, is going to get a lot more people anyway. So that's, that's my, yeah. The other thing I worry about though, is a lot of storms are supposed to be a lot more volatile. With yes, the, of course it will be yeah, when the, yeah. when the earth heats up, yeah. You're going to have more stronger cyclones and stronger hurricanes and probably more tornadoes. Of course. Yeah. Definitely. Which is, is a negative. Is, which is a, definitely a negative. Um, and that's going to, I mean, back in the thermal maximum when it was 25 degrees C, there was probably having a hurricane every fucking week. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's true. Yeah, and yeah. the dinosaurs were, well, there were no dinosaurs then, but whatever species were running around were having a hell of a time getting blown right and left <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and getting like nailed all the time. And that was just, uh, but that was just a way of life. And, and uh, yeah, but you're right. It, it's the, the rising temperatures will cause warmer temperatures in the water. And that, of course, is the fuel that these hurricanes need to get going and that's mm. but again you know it's like we have the technology to build really tough buildings and mm. it, but it is going to cause billions worth of damage as well as you know at some point the people in miami will just have to give up and move somewhere else yeah go to fucking brooks alaska and brooks range in alaska <laughs> no i agree i i think i mean whatever we'll, we i think we should try to do what we can to 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 uh, alleviate it but i think your your thing about we need to be resilient and flexible and well make, we have no choice the, we yeah, have no choice and unfortunately exactly. the way the human race is is that we're going to wait until the shit hits the fan that's when we're not going to change right we're not going to change until fucking miami's underwater or until san francisco's underwater and it's new york's underwater and and all these and the Netherlands disappears and is no longer part of the United Nations as long <laughs> along with uh, what's it not Mauritius what's the other one that's underwater yeah. not, uh, Seychelles isn't it no no there's one that starts with an M it's not Mauritius it's uh, uh, anyway they're they're the lowest lying nation of all and Mauritania no it's not Mauritania mm -hmm. um, God anyway somebody will who's listening anyway those guys will yeah it's gonna be transformative and. But here's another way of looking at it, and this is, again, mm. my crazy opinions here. But 11,000, 12,000 years ago, when we entered the Holocene period and we started, the Earth started warming up. Mm. And, for example, here in San Francisco, where we're at, the Farallon Islands, which are about 23 miles away, maybe about 45 kilometers away, 40 kilometers away, that was where the shoreline was. Mm. 
that was the shoreline. So you could walk out. There was you could walk across the bay. The Bay Area didn't exist. It was just a little valley with a river that went through the Golden Gate Bridge. The Golden Gate Bridge was a river. Yeah. You know, and and everywhere else you could walk Angel Island was not an island. Angel Island you could walk to Angel Island. It was a hill. A hill. Yeah. Right. And 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 so was Treasure Island. Anyway, this is for those who are listening who know about San Francisco. But it doesn't matter. You can pick anywhere on the planet. The sea was much, much lower. Mm. And then the temperatures rose and flooded all these areas, slowly but surely, not overnight. And this was, what, primitive human beings 11,000 years ago who didn't have satellites, didn't have GPS, didn't have any kind of technology whatsoever, except for knowing how to make a fucking stick and a bow and arrow or something like that. Mm. And they fucking survived. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so don't you think that we can pull through with all the tech? Now, of course, there's almost a billion of us yeah. now. So uh, we may lose a few billion because of that. I don't know if we'll lose a few billion, but but uh, yeah, but anyway, the point is, is that it's not going to be the end of the world. It's just going to be costly, mm. and it's going to be disruptive. But here's again my main point: is that there's going to be winners. Mm. There's going to be species that win, yeah. that are going to be happy. You know, the polar bear is going to go to hell in a handbasket, but the brown bear is going to have new territory. Mm. You know, the brown bear is going to be really happy to go into all this area that the polar bear currently dominates. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just it's just a cycle of life. In other words, it's uh, anyway, I can go on and on about this topic. But yeah, no, good, good, good points. It's not a um, it's not a free lunch either way. Yeah. <laughs> no such thing. Anyway, Sim. Always a pleasure. Yes. It's great to see you. And uh, I hope we have some more adventures together. It sounds like uh, maybe Burning Man might be one of our next adventures, but uh, you never know. Let's have them sooner than later. We're, uh, you're not really, a, you're not into social. I mean, it's not like you're not into social media, but you don't have a website or anything like that. Nobody no, can like no. kind of, and actually, you have a Twitter page, nothing? No, no, I don't take pictures. I'm on Facebook. But it's because you're that ugly? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I don't like to, the uh, the cell phone or the camera to get in the way of my enjoying the experience. So, and maybe I'm selfish, but I just like to see the things and, you know, and actually after being in Nepal, it's like, okay, this, <laughs> nothing else seems really that spectacular to wow, take it's pictures. that good. It's yeah, that yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Did you take a picture of Nepal? No. Yeah, I did. You yeah, did? But then that was it. <laughs> after that, it's kind of like, okay, you know. <laughs> Everything else is just... Yeah, the AT is beautiful, but it's it doesn't compare with Nepal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the AT doesn't compare to the PCT, for that's God's right. sake. Yeah. That's right, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But so, so there's no way for people to kind of like... Uh, follow along your journey or any kind of stuff like uh, that. you Not can really. find me on facebook and maybe i might get motivated and start putting more or you know get a web page or something but no just uh sim blanchard yes yes and my trail name symbiosis so. yes and that's because uh actually i was given that in the fifth grade i was uh, uh taking a, a biology class and we were studying symbiosis and my name is uh, on my name cards is sim b and so everybody in class was calling me symbiosis. And then at work, for some reason, they were calling me symbiosis. But your real given name was? Sim, S-Y-M. Right. right. Okay, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. yeah, well, you're an inspiration. And a lot of people, you know, there's all these travel bloggers that are have a high profile, that have web pages and all sorts of social media stuff. But there's, behind them, there's an army of people like you who are quietly, without much fuss, having adventuresome fulfilling lives mm. that uh, are really fulfilling 
lives mm-hmm. as well. And uh, I think it's a beautiful thing, whether you decide to be public about it. They both have pros and cons, right? Yeah. And uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, just, I don't see it as being selfish about like, you know, not mm. post. I mean, the, the flip side is humility, mm. right? It could just be people say it as, oh, no, you're humble. You're not bragging about, hey, I did this, did this. No. But it's just, uh, it's remarkable. And it's, it's I think it should be a sign of courage for people because some people might look at these travel bloggers or these people who climb crazy mountains and they say oh those guys look superhuman i can't do it mm-hmm. but then they realize like how many people are like you who are and they're not that many but but there's enough mm-hmm. that are doing this quietly that actually the the, the population of nutheads like you and me is actually mm-hmm. bigger than they might think mm yeah, yeah, the, we're we're out there and and uh, we like to get involved and and do the adventures and um, and you're my mentor, Francis. <laughs> you inspired me with your books and you know the the Eastern Europe and and especially hike your own hike. And I'm really looking forward to your next book. And yeah, the unseen I, Africa. Let's see. I've got to yeah, put that one I together. I got to write. But yeah, thank you so much. I I really appreciate this. Likewise, Sam. Happy trails. And that concludes this episode of the WanderLearn podcast, where we explore travel technology and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to WanderLearn.com and click on the latest episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. Here's one last reason to remember ftapon. If you like what I do and want to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash, yep, you guessed it, ftapon. That's where you can pick up some sweet rewards for as little as $1 a month. And remember, subscribing to the WanderLearn podcast helps, but downloading each episode helps even more. Please share the podcast, review it, and sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. This show was edited by Rejoice Tapon. The music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon, encouraging you to wander and learn.